0: Hello, I'm Matt Peterson. Hi, I'm Rich Trapeer. And this is episode 12 of History on the Table. Okay, Uh, yeah, so you heard that correctly, folks. Uh, This is the first episode with our very new co-host, Rich Trapeer. Welcome, Rich.
1: Yeah, I'm used to hearing the music at the beginning of the show, but I didn't get to hear it this time, so
0: I've been told it's too many drums, but it is what it is. It's free. No, I like and it. And no rights.
1: It's it's yours. I mean, it you know, it's associated with the show, so I've got that <laughs> mental connection now.
0: So Rich Rich and I have I guess we met last April in St. Louis and if we've met we've hung out a few times since then and we've talked on and off. Um but Rich kind of reached out to me to uh, after a joke I made about bringing on a co-host. But what was funny is I think we both had the same idea of bringing Rich on as a a host. We both thought about it in the past, but uh, you may all know Rich from his other podcast, Chance of Gaming.
1: Yeah. So, like, yeah, we met last year. I actually, kind of met on Twitter before we even actually met up in person. I think we put a, a bet in over the the Blues Jets <laughs> yeah. playoff series and. My playoff uh, Stanley Cup champion St. Louis Blues won me some some good beers. I remember they had pictures of dogs on them, and they were good.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's a local brewery <laughs> down the street. All that all that money went to uh, a dog pound here. So
1: yeah, they were good. Yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, we've met up a few times. Like you said, we met at a, a con last year. We met up. You came in town. Uh, you run the Kansas City group. I run the St. Louis Historical Gaming Society. Um, run is probably not really the right word, but I guess I kind of organize it. so uh, you were you came in town for our our day with the designer last fall and, and we've got plans to meet up later this year to have some sort of uh, bitter reenactment of a civil war battle where the two gaming groups meet somewhere in Colombia and fight it out.
0: Yeah, I think the mo the more politically correct like meetup would be the i-70 series but yeah we can go with sweaters <laughs> and j
1: hackers, I guess. Yeah, well, I don't want to go back to the I-70 series, because you guys won
0: that one. Yeah. Okay, so uh, what I thought we would do is, just so everyone listening knows, we're going to keep the same basic structure of everything I've done for the last year. Nothing really should change, other than I hope this will be more conversational, and then you get a second voice in here, so structurally this should be the same podcast you're just getting more content and hopefully you just don't hear me droning on and on and on without a script and just free balling it and, and, and whatever uh but i th- what i thought we would do before we get into our normal content is just give rich the floor a little bit to talk about the types of games he enjoys when did he start getting into war games all that kind of thing all those kinds of things and i think I'll be interested to hear, because I think Rich and I actually share a somewhat similar background in war games. in, in terms of, I think we're both fairly new, but but maybe not. So, uh, Rich, why don't you take the floor and just talk about your wargaming history a little bit?
1: Yeah, my wargaming history goes back to when I was a kid, but there's quite a gap in the, the story there. So when I was a kid, I used to play Axis and Allies with my brother. We played it a lot. Um, but the weird thing about, I've heard Axis and Allies has sort of changed their roles since such since then. But when I played as a kid, every game ended the exact same way. It ended with whoever was playing the Axis side would end up with like literally thirty infantry on Japan trying to stop the invasion of Japan. And the other guy would just be buying transports and bombing it and doing everything else he could. Um but we had a lot of fun. I mean I played a lot of Axis and Allies as a kid. And um for whatever reason, after maybe high school or so, I just kind of stopped playing war games. I played Dungeons and Dragons and stuff like that and then, you know, I grew up and got married and had kids and never really had time to play a lot of really good games. So maybe five years ago I started getting back into it um, as my kids were getting a little older and I started having a little more free time. I uh, started getting back into it, and I thought, I really want to play war games. I was, I was in the Navy, so I've got a particular interest in, in naval games, although I don't have that many good naval games. Um, but I thought, I really want to just like lay out a big map with hexes and counters and push the little counters around, and how much fun would that be to just play that kind of game? So I started looking into that, that kind of game and uh, started getting into... Uh, you know, Hex Encounter Wargaming. So right now I play a lot of different games. Um, I think I still probably lean toward Hex Encounter, but uh, there's, uh, we'll eventually get into my top 10 games of all time, and I'll start slotting my games into your greatest games of all time list, but uh, probably mostly Hex Encounter is what I'm into, and I really like big, complex games. I'm not afraid of big rule books, although sometimes they take me a while to get through the rule book and actually get the game on the table. Yeah. I'm, I'm a big fan of long campaign games,
0: too. Sure, like, I I would like... I am, too. Uh, it's always a pain in the ass to see them come to fruition. Um, as much as I enjoy them, I'm really struggling to think of an actual campaign game that I've seen reach its conclusion. Yeah. Um. So, like, what was... So, I tell this story about... You know, I came from Eurogames. So, I, I have kind of the atypical war game background i feel like a lot of people my age and older came from this background and playing Axis and empires and they grew up playing ambush or, or whatever depending on the age group but there's some background as a kid playing war games where i didn't come to war games until i was into euro games and so my first kind of intro into current Wargaming were things like Cuba Libre, Sekigahara, Wilderness War, U.S. Civil War, so like current GMT stuff. What was kind of your first dip back into Wargaming?
1: My first dip back in was, I think it was Falling Sky, the GMT okay. coin game, yeah, yeah. which I still love that game. It's it's my favorite coin game, <laughs> um, but I think that was my first one into modern Wargames.
0: Sorry, are you a coin fan?
1: I am a coin fan, although... I'll have to say as the series progresses, uh, I still enjoy the games, the older games that I have, but some of the newer ones like Gandhi and uh, uh, Pendragon have not quite held my attention.
0: I think it all comes down to, and I've talked about this before a lot, um, I think it's a a great system. They've obviously hit on something that attracts a lot of people, but too many of the games I've played don't present interesting choices or I would rather be playing a full war game. So yeah, if I'm have playing played Lib-
1: falling sky, I have, I okay. played
0: falling sky, Liberty, or, uh, Liberty or death, pin dragon, Cuba, Libre, um, fire in the lake. That may be it. The okay. one I'm looking forward to the most is a distant plane. Um, just because, and we'll talk about this a little bit. We had our uh, Kansas City war game group and um, Mitch Land was in town for another event that ended up getting canceled. And so we like, hey, if you're here, come to our war game group. And him and I were shooting the shit and he really sold a distant plane to me. So I really want to try that one. But so far, Fire in the Lake is the only one I've enjoyed. And it's yeah. because of the, de- the decisions. Like if I'm playing the U.S. player, I feel like I'm doing things that I should be doing. When I played Liberty or Death... It's like, okay, I move and that's it.
1: Yeah, Fire Lake does a good job, especially with the the US spending this off Vietnamese resources. That obviously makes it interesting. Uh, what I like about Falling Sky is I I do think that maybe not so much the Belgians, but the the Averni and the Romans especially. It's just you're constantly trying to grasp something that you can't quite hold on to. And I think that makes Falling Sky a good game. The Rome, with the Romans, it's like playing whack-a-mole. You know, you want to keep your forces together in a big kill stack. But if you do that, the Averni are going to come along and devastate the crops and kill your legions. And you won't be able to stamp down all the rebellions. But if you separate them, they become vulnerable. And I don't know. I really like Falling Sky a lot.
0: So I mix up Falling Sky and Pendragon a lot because I yeah. played them in quick succession back-to-back. And is, Falling Sky the one where you can move and attack in the same activation?
1: No, you cannot in Falling okay. Sky. In yeah. any of the fa- Okay, so that must unless you too. have a special card or something.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think one of the factions in Pindragon can move and attack, and it's just it's just a, a complaint because and part of it's me. If I go into Coin, I expect to play a war game, right? Yeah. And so when I just been playing U.S. Civil War or whatever game, it's like okay, I want to move and attack and go into battle. And that's that's not really what coin is. So part of it is I need to adjust my expectation going in. But even if I uh, if I adjust that expectation, really I'd rather just be playing a uh, a war game. But okay, anything else you want to talk about with your history? I kind of I took us uh, us off on a detour into coin just no because
1: it's a yeah. A I mean, lit. currently my interests are. I mean, I really like Hex Encounter, and if it's a a big, complicated Hex Encounter game, I'm probably going to at least give it a try. I really like World War II games. Um, I like Ancients, but I don't play that many Ancients anymore. Um, I'm probably mostly into World War II right now, although this year I'm I'm really branching out more into modern war stuff, and we're going to talk about Red Storm 1985, and I'd like to get some more Vietnam games, and that's kind of on my wish list for this year is to play some Vietnam stuff.
0: Nice. I could I could stand for some more Vietnam. Yeah. I'll join you on that quest. Okay. Well, if, if that's all you have to add, we'll just go straight into um, our games on the shelf. So, it's just recent stuff. Uh, I'll dive in. So, I skipped this last episode because it was the end of the year episode. There's actually quite a few things I've added, like Speed of Heat comes to mind. Which is a war game for or a air war game based in Vietnam. Um, gosh, I've added probably way too much than I should have, but <laughs> there's a couple of things I want to talk about that are exciting me the most. One is uh, Blue Water Navy. So this is a recent release from Compass Games, and it is a Cold War gone hot naval game. Okay, and this didn't show up on my radar at all other than, so I I joined you and Adam on an interview and I, I talked about this like recent fascination I've had with both air and naval military history. Right. Yeah. And so I've been looking at these fleet games and all of a sudden Joel Toppin on Twitter is doing these playthrough videos of Blue Water <laughs> Navy. I think because he's. I think they give him games to develop the Vassal modules. I think that's like the reason. Yes, they have. Joel
1: Taupin does a lot of Vassal modules.
0: Right, and so he's playing this thing, and it's like he's really raving about it.
1: He is, yeah. Have you played the Fleet
0: games? No. Well, okay. uh, so I've watched. I've watched a couple guys play, and then this month in February at the Kansas City Game Day uh rex and i are going to play one of the fleet games i don't know which one yet okay because i'm really
1: curious i have not um and like i was saying earlier i was in the navy i love the idea of naval war games but i really haven't played that many um and i'm i'm interested in blue water navy i'm interested to know how it compares to the fleet games and and there's other games out there flat top i think that's more of a vietnam game but the fleet games i think are definitely set 80s aren't they
0: Uh, yes, I believe so. Yeah.
1: And there's a bunch Uh, of them. And besides the fact that they take place in different parts of the ocean, I have no idea if there's even any difference from one to the other. So,
0: so there is a little bit, um, one, some of them use D sixes and some of them use D tens, but from what I gathered in like the last five hours, Rex sent me the rules and there's like a combined rule set that I think kind of brings all the games together to like work under one rule system. Interesting. To, to, yeah. And, you know, so Compass is redeveloping. combine the games
1: this. or just one rule set?
0: No, com- not combine the games, but I think make them one uniform rule okay. set. Because they are re- they are really similar, I think. Okay. And so, I don't know if you heard, but Compass is redeveloping the Fleet series. No, I hadn't heard that. Yeah. And so, have you listened to the most recent Advance After Combat? Uh
1: like, it was about today's- half- halfway through it. <laughs> okay.
0: I'm going to spoil something for you. Okay. And not that these guys need any free advertisement, but a couple fleet games show up on that list. And I think they both mention Second Fleet. I don't know why Second Fleet was showed up twice. I don't know what makes it better than the other, but obviously there's a lot of praise for the Fleet series. Mm. Um but what's cool is if Compass does a good job, it'll be available again.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I'm definitely interested in Blue Water Navy, though. Uh, a friend of mine here in town, I'm pretty sure he picked it up. Um, so I'm going to have to get one of our St. Louis Historical Gaming Days to get him to bring that, and we'll play it together.
0: I do have a pretty big complaint with it. Not So the, the, <laughs> the box... The, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, what the hell? Like, why is there no sample for this? So yeah. the side of the box, like, when you put it on your shelf, any other box... The text is centered, or it's designed so it looks nice on your shelf, whatever. In yeah. The Blue Water Navy box, there's a Navy compass. I don't know what the symbol's called, but it's... Okay, so there's a compass at the top spot, like, and then the text, of Blue Water Navy, and they're both left justified on the game box. Yeah. So the compass is cut off, and the Blue Water Navy text is all the way to the left. It looks pretty bad.
1: Yeah, I saw pictures of it, and especially compass games are really expensive and you know, yeah. uh, I don't know. I, I think that for the, for the amount that they charge, they should have better quality control or who knows what, maybe that was a design decision. I have no idea.
0: <laughs> There's, I get, uh, like I can't because I'm speaking completely out of my ass right now. <laughs> There's, I would be shocked if that was a design decision. Yeah. I think it was a missed, like, I mean, rushing to get it out, whatever. If you go listen to Uve. From Academy Games did a big interview. I saw with, that. That
1: was an amazing interview. The guy from No Enemies Here is good anyway, but that interview was really good.
0: He is. I do think, and I may catch flag for this, but I really don't care. I think Uva talks out of his ass a little bit.
1: Oh, that absolutely could be the case, um, but I still think it was a fascinating interview from some guy that, um, I mean, was giving an industry insider's perspective. There was a lot on there that it's hard to say i don't agree with it because i really don't know but even the questions that gosh i wish i could remember this game that the host from no enemies here the questions that he was asking things like wait a minute if this doesn't add up what are you talking about and and he defended his position i just don't know but i found it interesting anyway
0: oh and i'll say right now that uve knows a million more things <laughs> yeah. than i do or uva uh, about the war game industry but What was fascinating to me is he made a pretty strong claim that I think holds true is there's a lot of, and I think this is actually probably true across the whole industry, is there's a lot of board game companies right now that are just churning and burning. And so they're cutting corners. And I don't know if this was the case with Blue Water Navy or not. This is a really small thing that really doesn't matter in the long run, but it's kind of annoying when their games are so expensive and then you put it on the shelf and like you didn't center
1: the text. Yeah, You know? And I think, but have you opened up your box of blue water Navy yet? Uh, yeah. Okay. I think in, in Joel Toppin's tweets when he was getting both of us to rolling over this game, I think that was the one complaint he did have about the game was some of the, the counter art as well. And the map art. Yeah. So. I,
0: I really like, again, I don't know the war game industry. I, I don't, I don't even have the slightest idea. I know how P 500 works sometimes, but even then, like P five hundred or really like P seven fifty, which was news to me. Yeah. Um, and but it's like, damn guys, you can't even get your magazine straight, you know? Because there's like a rata for their magazine. Oh really? <laughs> yeah. One of the paper wars came out. Yeah. and I don't remember if the rules are missing or what. Anyways. Well, I mean, I think it's
1: like I think
0: slow down I, I, everyone. I
1: love GMT, but I was laughing because I got Nevsky in the mail last month. I you know I pre-ordered that one. And sitting on top of the box is the Arana. I'm like, really? If if you could ship it with the game, couldn't you just fix it?
0: Yeah. Look, here you go. Here you are in your like you've you've been doing a how long have you been on Chance of Gaming?
1: A uh, little over a year now.
0: Okay, so you've been doing that for a year. You're on here on your first episode, and we're already throwing shit. Oh, I know. Yeah. We're gonna be blackballed. There go our
1: advertisers. Trash- <laughs> 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 yeah,
0: yeah, our advertisers. My wife's photography business. <laughs> Uh, So that's Blue Water Navy. All that aside, the game looks fantastic. It's card-driven. I really don't know much about it, but um, the components look nice. And Joel, if you are all interested in this game, one, the rulebook is online, which is not always the case with Compass. And Joel has some really nice videos for it. Yeah,
1: Well, that's definitely going to get on my table, even though I don't own it. I'm pretty sure my friend does. So I'll get that one out there. All
0: right. So here's an inside tip on Compass Games. Uh, AGR sales, the sales.com. He, he has an eBay store and Amazon store and n b g g store, but he also has his own website and the prices there are a lot cheaper. The other option is NWS wargaming. Store. Yeah.
1: NWS is usually where I go.
0: Yeah. I think he's back up and running completely on war games. So yeah.
1: Yeah. For a while he was saying he wasn't going to do board games anymore. And then I think he relented, but
0: Oh, he's gone back and forth a million times, but the good news is he's back. Uh, one quick thing I'll mention real quick. So, Twilight Struggle isn't my favorite game of all time. I've tried several times to get into it. I just don't really find the decisions. I bring this up all the time in my reviews of games. I need to enjoy the decisions. And too many times in Twilight Struggle, I feel like I'm just making decisions to advance my objectives in the game. Not necessarily historically. Does that make sense? Like, I'm just putting influence in Cuba because that's what I need to do, not because it's historically important. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: So I bought Labyrinth War on Terror, which is like Twilight Struggle, right? (laughs) Is it?
1: Yeah. I always always thought of Labyrinth as almost a coin game. That's how I thought of it, even though I never played it.
0: So what I think of it, again, I haven't played, is I think it's somewhere in between. Okay. And what I've been told is the decisions are more interesting. So although you're doing this thing because it advances your purpose in the game, I think it makes sense like that's what the Jihadists would be doing. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to it. My goal is to play it once solo. And then um, I've been talking to a guy on Twitter the week after next. I think we'll – he says you can play a one-deck game in like three hours. And so my goal is to get it played and talk about it in the next episode. uh, I bring that up because – we're going to get early access of the digital copy next month. Uh, So somewhere around February 27th. And have you played Twilight Struggle on Steam?
1: That is the only place I've, well, Steam and iPad, but it's the only place I've ever played it. I've never played the cardboard version of it. And I've I've played electronically 50, 100 times maybe. Do you like it? Do you like Twilight Struggle? I do. I mean, it's not my favorite game of all time. Um, I can see why people like it, and I can see why people... Don't like it. Like you said, for, for that reason, um, it, it, it doesn't feel like the Cold War to me, which is, you know, people say, oh, you're playing the Cold War. It doesn't feel that way. It feels like a card game, but it's interesting. Mm-hmm. And the cards, because I'm a, just a big history buff, the cards have the history printed on in them, and I can look at them and go, oh, that's cool, that event happened in history, and that makes it more interesting to me. But, I mean, using Aldrich Ames to coup South Africa obviously doesn't make sense. So. <laughs> right, right,
0: right. So that is that is on the table. The last thing I want to talk about myself is, so I did a little bit of deep dive into, I, I've talked about this this year, and that's sports simulations for hockey. So I did uh, Stratomatic and Hockey Blast. Well, now the new thing is I'm all horned up for baseball. And so there's two games, uh, Shurko Baseball and Stratomatic Baseball. And the reason I went with these two is, so Shirko was explained to me as the ASL of baseball sports <laughs> simulation. And I got about a three-inning demo of this the other night, and I loved it. It was the exact level. So have you ever played, like, shroud or I have any of those sports I've never played any of
1: those. I've seen a couple of them played. I'd like to play one sometime. I don't think I would be interested in owning them, but I do want to play one sometime just for the experience
0: so sometimes what you run into what I've seen is you just like my wife and I sat down to play stratomatic hockey and there weren't in the basic game. You can get advanced rules and all that. You just kind of roll the die and see the results and the results are fun and you tell a neat story and the rules are pretty easy. And this is my same kind of complaint with some solitaire world uh, war games, right? Is you just kind of roll to see what happens. Right. There's no decisions to be made. Zeppelin right Oh, yeah. r- exactly. Sureco, like you adjust, like you can put the shift on in baseball. You can put in pinch hitters. Your pitcher fatigues. You can warm up pitchers. You can do all this stuff, and you actually run to the ball and throw the ball and do all these things. Where like a lot of other sports sims games, like when I'm playing Hockey Blast, is you're playing whole minute shifts. You're not really controlling line changes. You can skip a line a certain amount of times in a game, but you're not really influencing the game that much so
1: do you feel like the manager i think and is that is that the goal do you want to feel like the manager or do you want to feel like the pitcher which
0: okay so in shirko i think you're feeling like a lot of different things okay i mean like you you're the manager you can get so here's the goal there's four of us that are going to play Slobs, which is basically the Sherco League <laughs> something baseball season, okay. okay? And this thing gets way out there. You make your whole teams, you design your own baseball park, and you do everything. So, but in the actual game, so if you sit down and just play one game, you're the manager of. Is probably the best thing, but you're like, you're doing so much more. Like, you're not just along for the ride. It's really good. Again, that's only three seasons. I was super fascinated. The other thing, though, is they don't have the Negro Leagues. So I also have Stratomatic Baseball. Now, Stratomatic, the thing with Stratomatic Baseball and hockey and their other rules is there's a base set, which is really simple. You can pick up and play and get rolling in no time, and there's advanced rules. So I really want to dive into the advanced rules and play. The Negro League. So Kansas City has a super rich Negro League history. We have the Negro League Museum here. And the reason I'm talking about Stratomatic as well as Sherco is this is the 100th anniversary of the Negro Leagues. And if you order, I'm not, this isn't an advertisement. Stratomatic has nothing to do with our website. If you order any Negro Leagues product this year, 10% of the proceeds go to that museum. And so they have a diamond, uh, what's it called? Diamond gems which is eight of the best Negro Leagues teams in history. And that gives you everything you get, need to get going and running up with the game. That's all you need to buy. I mean, you can go buy, like, the 45 season, the 38 season, wherever you want to go. Uh, but you can play all these great Negro League teams. And there is some great stuff in the Negro Leagues. Satchel Page, you know, Jackie Robinson played in Kansas City for a year before he got called up. I mean, there's all kinds of history with the Negro Leagues. And so that was the one thing about Sherco. When I was looking at Sherco, I was like, Oh, I'm going to get the Negro Leagues in a heartbeat, so, but you go and look. So what do there. you
1: get? You get stat cards for players, you get a schedule. What what comes with that when you buy the Negro League season diamond. Or, or do they even have, I mean, is this, is it MLB endorsed or does it come with like generic players with stats? Like,
0: you know, so I don't know if it's endorsed, but let's, let's say you go out and buy the 2019. Okay. So you have a couple options. You can buy the game. Yeah. Right, the board game, and you get a board, dice, the rule book, maybe some stat cards, things like that. And then, usually, what they do if you buy a board game, depending on which set you buy, like when I bought hockey, I got eight teams, I think, for hockey. And then, those give you all the stat cards for the players. Now, there's no logos. Like when I bought hockey, the Jets or the Blues logos weren't on there, but all the players were. So, I don't know how they have that worked out because. They okay. use the real names. I remember
1: playing like computer baseball games when I was a kid and they'd always have like you could tell who it was by the stats and the name would be a little bit yeah. off.
0: <laughs> yeah, there was a there was an NES game. So we had a lots of baseball games on the NES. One of them was called Legends of the Diamonds, which was great. It had all these like Joe DiMaggio, Hank Aaron all these guys. And you basically fantasy drafted them and then played baseball on the NES. But the other one we had was called Roger Clemens Baseball and he was the only named player <laughs> in yeah. there. But like uh everyone's names escaping me, but like okay, let's say you play the athletics, like Mark McGuire and Jose Canseco would be like Bash Bro one, Bashbro two yeah. or something. They had some name like so you right. knew, but you know, there's but in so with Stratomatic and all these other games, somehow they get their names and I'm, I'm not sure how that works. But
1: hmm. and, and, and that's anyway. for sale now? I mean, every copy of Stratomatic I've ever seen looks like it's from the seventies or something. So <laughs> yeah. I didn't realize it was still selling. Right.
0: Oh, yeah, they're all, like, so I was like, okay, I'll go look at Stratomatic and then, you know, the other game I play is uh, Hockey Blast, which is made by Play, P-L-A-Y, and I like Hockey Blast more than basic Stratomatic. I need to spend more time with both Hockey Blast and Shredmatic Advanced, but anyways, so those are two companies, but then you go, like, look at baseball, and there's Sherco, Stratomatic the play has another one. And then like a fourth one came up. I was like, Oh my gosh, I don't, I do not even know how to decide. So what I did was, all right, you get the Negro league set. That's what I wanted. 10% goes to the museum. And then Sherco, sure, because I, I tested that. And I was like, this is what I want in the level to sit. Like I am making actual decisions. So, that is my way too long rant and dive into that hole <laughs> on sports sims baseball. But we're getting close, you know. Yeah. So,
1: yeah. Pitchers and catchers can be reporting soon. Right.
0: So we start talking about uh, ASL gate. And this is the fact that Kurt Schilling still hasn't got in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> and someone made a joke. Actually, it was Rex. He's like made a joke. that's like the real crime is that they're not ASL fans. And so they're withholding yeah. him from the Hall of Fame because he <laughs> <laughs> plays ASL. <laughs> Yeah. I think maybe it was his comments, but who knows. could be. Yeah, could be. All right, what about you? That was I spent way too long talking about baseball. This is uh coming soon in twenty twenty one. We have uh, baseball hey, on the baseball
1: table. Baseball is war. Yeah.
0: <laughs> are you are you a baseball fan? I know you're
1: a hockey fan. Are you a baseball fan? So I would not say I'm a baseball fan. Okay. I'm a Cardinals fan. Mm. Um I, I I like the Cardinals. Um you know in St. Louis everyone likes the Cardinals. Sure. The Cardinals are just Saint Louis culture. So you're not gonna say no one but you're not going to find many people here that don't like the Cardinals so when the Cardinals are it's not exactly that I'm a Fairweather fan but I guess you could accuse me of that Um, when the Cardinals are doing well I'm super interested when they're not doing well I still pay attention to the Cardinals but I don't pay attention to the rest of the league
0: fair enough side note who are you cheering for in the Super Bowl Kansas City okay good because you know they are Missouri's team now
1: (laughs) yeah absolutely well I can't run for the 49ers Uh... (laughs) yeah there's actually some the Blues and the Chiefs have been doing a lot of cross-promotion lately. Oh, yeah. And and there's a lot of St. Louis fans that are really annoyed by it because when the Rams left town, Kansas City was one of the teams that voted for them to leave. Um, but so did everyone else. So right. I have nothing against Kansas City. The, the whole St. Louis-Kansas City rivalry, I've never really understood. Um, it's funny, though. My daughter goes to Mizzou, and I think Mizzou is kind of a center point of that St. Louis Kansas City rivalry. So it'll be interesting to see how she comes out of her four years there.
0: Yeah, I think the Kansas City-St. Louis rivalry is a little bit more on the KC side. It's kind of yes. like Wichita thinking they're a big city to Kansas Cityans is cute. I think Kansas Cityans thinking they're a big city is cute to St. Louis. It's exactly
1: like... the way for St. Louis and Chicago. Chicago yeah, doesn't yeah, right. think so you they have a rivalry with right. us. Right. <laughs> yeah, right. Right, right. Uh, yep.
0: yeah, obviously, uh, the cheese for me too. I'm going to take a little side note here. So when you come to Kansas city for a historic fest, mm-hmm. depending on how long you come, I've plugged a lot of different things. World war I I'm going to come up
1: Thursday morning. Cause Thursday uh-huh. I want to go to the world war one museum.
0: If you finish, go over to the jazz museum and the Negro leagues museum. Okay. They are fantastic. They really are. If you have time, I would also shoot over to Union Station. Union Station's free and just go look at the model train exhibit and just appreciate Union Station. It was a complete shithole and they <laughs> revitalized it. But you can go outside and there was a gang shootout in the 1930s and the bolt hole's still in one of the doorways. Which...
1: Well, we get those every day here.
0: <laughs> oh, little taste of reality. All right, all right. I went way off track. Yeah. Uh, but new, I
1: think new on my shelf. Yeah, right. right. So probably the, the biggest one I just got my Kickstarter in of, World of War or 85. It's a mm-hmm. lock and load game. Um, and honestly, I haven't even broken the shrink gear up yet. But there is so much in there. It's like three good sized boxes or some mat they gave me as a Kickstarter add on or whatever. I, I can't wait to get it open. But I don't have room on my table for it right now. So I haven't done anything with it yet. So it's literally new on my shelf.
0: I backed this game purely on the content included alone.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: What was your box weight, like 18 pounds or something?
1: Yes, yeah.
0: Yeah, I think, so I've watched Todd, which I I believe you know Todd, right? Oh, yeah, Itinerant Hobbyist. Mm -hmm. He he has a YouTube channel. It's called Itinerant Hobbyist. And he's been doing some World of War stuff.
1: Yeah, Kev from Big Board has been doing it too. Yeah,
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It looks good. I'm also interested in the platoon scale. Yeah. I haven't played anything platoon. You know, you guys did that interview with Doug Bush, right. and he mentioned Assault, which is a platoon game.
1: Yes, which I had never heard of before. Yeah, I bought it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> like went out right yeah. away.
1: It really feels like there's a lot of good Cold War stuff coming out right now. I mean, Red Storm and World at War Eighty Five and Blue Water Navy and
0: you know, and that stuff hasn't interested me at all really? until right now. Yeah, yeah. You know, I've never read what's the what's the book you Red guys Storm did? Rising. What's... Yeah, like <laughs> hadn't even heard... I've never been a Tom Clancy guy. Yeah. I read one of them. But yeah, I think I'm going to read it. <laughs>
1: yeah, it's good. I mean, it's... I enjoyed it. Um, It's it's hard to say if I would enjoy it as much reading it now if I had never read it before. There's, you know, there's an attachment to it because I loved it so much as a kid. But it's good. It's actually, you know, it's, it's about the Soviet invasion of Western Europe, but most of the book takes place in the Atlantic.
0: Okay, so I was going to... That's... The deal with Red Storm Rising is it's navy. It's pretty navy focused, yep. right? Yeah, mostly. So I think that would navy. pair really well with uh, Blue Water Navy. Yeah, I think so. And so, are any other games on your shelf? Uh,
1: just last night, I picked up Next score Korea and uh, and the Next Corps Supplement Number Two. So
0: mm-hmm.
1: picked those up yesterday and haven't even opened those up yet. But those will get opened up pretty soon. All
0: right. So you've played India Pakistan. Have you played any of the others? I played
1: Poland and India Pakistan. Nice yeah nice, nice,
0: nice. i'm firing up india pakistan in february yeah it's good And i think we're gonna play like tuesday nights or something like that yeah um but i really haven't gone back to it since next work on yeah which is a shame i mean i had a blast just dedicating two yeah. days to it
1: i and... feel the same way i mean i'm getting to that point where i got so many good games to play and not enough time to play them. but i mean I see Mitch all the time, so I'm going to see Mitch tomorrow. <laughs> and there was one time, a long time ago, I was like, well, who am I going to get? Uh, I think it was before I really knew Mitch. I had like just met him or something and said, yeah, I was going to pick up the next war game, but I'm not sure who I'd play with. And he's like, hey. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. Yeah, so, yeah, I'm looking forward to playing that one as well.
0: Let's use uh, Red Storm Rising to, uh, let's talk about some books we've been reading, right? Yeah. So I've been a little bit all over the place. I read you mentioned Kev Sharp over at the Big Board last year. He recommended Legionnaire by Jason Anspach. This is part of a series, and it's called Galaxy's Edge. I think I'll read more of the series. So this isn't historical or anything. It doesn't really tie into any of the games we've been playing. It's just kind of a military sci-fi with a heavy influence on military. I'll tell you this right now. The first book was really uninspiring. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, okay, there's these elite soldiers. They go to this planet and they just like slaughter these people that are rebelling against the system. Like you don't have any character development. You're not interested in either side. Like you kind of feel bad for the people that live on the planet. Cause these elite soldiers just come in and kick their ass. Like they, the, People rebelling like score a victory, but you don't really feel bad for either side. Yeah. A- and so really you just you just get a bunch of jargon about like snipers and tanks and shit, and it was like ah! I mean it's like it was fine. And it read really quick, which was nice. Like it was a good book to like unwind at the end of the day. I didn't have to focus and worry about historical importance. I just like read it and like shit, yeah, let's blow some guys up <laughs> or let's blow up a tank or let's talk about sniping guys for five minutes. It was cool. But, like, no character development.
1: Is there enough in there to make you want to go on, or you just think, eh, try something else?
0: There is enough in the world building that, yes. Do I give two shits about any of the characters I met? Absolutely Mm. not. But there's, like, cool tech. Basically, these Legionnaires are wearing these, like, super helmets. And they can even see, like, if they aim down their sights, they can see, like, all right, this bloody buddy in your firing squad's aiming at this guy over here and this guy's over here. So like shows you who people are aiming at, and that's like that's pretty cool.
1: What's that? The, um, like, the time frame of the book?
0: Ooh, near future like, or far future? No, pretty distant okay. future. Like I think they've explored explored a yeah. lot. I
1: always I always wonder about stuff like that because it just seems that there's a, a sort of a temptation to just kind of give modern soldiers and tactics cooler weapons, and I think that. I, mean, I don't know what warfare is gonna be like in a hundred or a thousand years but I don't think it's just gonna be better guns you know
0: I think you just nailed it he- nailed it on the head I really do I think it's a, a story about modern tactics with cool weapons yeah um and I've been told the series gets better and again like how many
1: books in the series
0: oh I think it's all over the place I think there's graphics novels and there's oh like- wow. So like these, the Legionnaire is about this one specific, I think it gets promoted to captain, maybe sergeant. And okay. I think it's about him and his squad or whatever. And so like you can follow that trail or you could jump over to whatever and just follow a different story about the, the people with the rebellion or whatever. It's kind of, so Kev sold it as Star Wars without the Jedi shit. Yeah. That's a little optimistic.
1: I like the Jedi stuff
0: right <laughs> but like even then it's still optimistic to equate it to that yeah yeah do i recommend it to you rich well one i don't really know your book taste <laughs> but again i would probably knock out like usually i i try to read before bed so it's, yeah. it's a goal of mine i never always do it but it's just something i strive for sometimes it's five minutes and i just pass out with this like with five, ten minutes you can knock out ten percent of the book. So you make good pace. It's light, it's popcorn. I read Legend by David Gamel last year, which was a much better book. Same kind of thing. Like if you just want an action flick, go for it. But yeah. I don't know couple other things I'll just talk about real quick. I'm reading, and I'm just about done with a book on the Crusades. I'm going to talk about that a little bit more later because it ties into the book, we're to, uh, one of the games we're going to feature. But it's been actually really approachable. The last time I read anything about the Crusades was probably like eighth grade history.
1: Yeah, I don't think, I, I mean, except for like a, a summary history book, I don't think I've ever read anything specifically about the Crusades.
0: Well, we'll, well, we'll talk about this. I'm going to save it for later. I mean, if, but I, it's I good.
1: It, I read a good book on world history that covered it, and a book book on the history of the Christian Church which covered it. But sure. besides that, no.
0: And so, here is speaking of the Christian Church. Have you heard of this book? It's called The Hobbit.
1: The, is that new? No. <laughs> oh, that's uh, written by the guy whose son just died.
0: It. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> man, yeah. Look at that yeah.
1: pop. Yeah, you are on top of news. Uh, so <laughs> I've
0: never read The Hobbit. I've never read Little really. Books. I've never. Oh, yeah.
1: My gosh. So my. If we're if we're going to do the top books of all time, Lord of the Rings is my all favorite all time favorite book. So What about Hobbit? It's good. It's I don't know if it's on top 10, maybe top 10.
0: It's okay but so it's far. It's yeah. it's dated. I don't. I have no nostalgia for it, which I think carries a lot of people's opinion on it. But I'm finally like, all right, I should try it because last time I tried to read Lord of the Rings, I was in middle school when the first movie came out. <laughs> yeah. And so like, you watch this awesome action-packed movie, and you go try to read Lord of the Rings. <laughs> Lord of the Rings is really <laughs>
1: dense. Very different. Yeah. The last time I read The Hobbit was mm, probably about a year, maybe two ago. I read it to my youngest daughter. So. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. I mean, it's a kid's book, so, but it's good. I like, I like it. Yeah.
0: I don't know if I'd recommend it to anyone today, you know?
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm trying to think. I, I, I have a 10 year old daughter and I read to her a lot. Um, so it's, it's definitely one of the better books that I've read to her. There are other books that we've read together that I've read to her that I've enjoyed and thought, yeah, this is pretty good. But most of the books I read to her, it's like, eh, this is, you know, it's, storytelling for kids is just not the same. And I think the Hobbit is better than average at least.
0: But before we get to your books, I need to chime in here. So uh, (laughs) when Kat and I were in our uh, classes for having a baby, one of the gals said for the first few months, you can read whatever you want to your kids. It's beneficial. It doesn't matter what it is.
1: (laughs) I've got a story for you that after you finish yours.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So last week, I mentioned Mitch came into town for this next war event at Fort Leavenworth. And the plan was we were going to play ATS afterwards, the brick system. And then the next day we we're going to play onward Christian soldiers. Well, I completely slacked off on everything on that front <laughs> and uh, Friday rolls around and I had dipped into the ATS rules and hardly the OCS rules. So all day Friday, our little baby and I got to read all of the ATS rules and most of those ATS rules aloud. I made it as enjoyable as possible. Uh, That's all I had.
1: She's gonna be pushing counters by the time she's four. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so my little one, um, when you know, when she would get up in the middle of the night, often you know, so my wife could get some sleep. Oftentimes, I'd give her a bottle instead of her nursing every time or whatever. So I'd go out and I'd sit on the couch in the middle of the night nursing my newborn baby and i would watch the sopranos (laughs) 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 so yeah she didn't know what was going on
0: (laughs) uh in a related note on so i stay home on fridays and then i make up for it by staying late and going in on saturdays whatever uh this week we watched the entire first season of the boys
1: Oh, okay. I still haven't seen that. I want. Have you watched? You have watched. I have not seen it. So. Oh,
0: it's fucked up, Rich. Yeah, I know. Like, if my if she was at any chance of comprehending anything in that show, (laughs) no, it would be off. There are so many uncomfortable, hilarious. Like, it's so effed up that it's funny. And I've heard the. I was talking to a buddy tonight. uh, I used to be way into comic books. I'm not as much anymore. But he's like, "Oh, dude, the comic is so much more."
1: Really, I didn't know it was comic.
0: Yeah, Garth Innes wrote it. Uh, so, All yeah. right. Uh, what about you? What's on the bookshelf?
1: So usually I have one paper book going and one audio book going at a time. And like you, I like to read before bed, but it's always paper books at bedtime. I like to turn off all the electronics. So my paper book right now is a history book called Fire and Fortitude by a guy named John McManus. He's actually sort of a local guy. I think he teaches at uh, at University of Raleigh. Um, and he's a it's a it's a World War II book about the Army in the Pacific War in World War II. So um, it's really good. It's interesting. Um, most people and I, I went to hear him talk at at the St. Louis County Library a few months ago. Uh, so he was saying rightfully that most people think of the World War II in the Pacific as being. Uh, a naval and marine corps operation, but the army actually did most of the heavy lifting. And this book is specifically about the army's contributions. So, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna
0: pause you real quick. Yeah. Have you read um, not not Helmet for My Pillow? That oh, with Old Breed. Have you read with Old Breed? Yes, I have. It's so good. Okay, so he's yeah. in the Marines, but he alludes to the army's action actually quite a bit. Yeah, which was surprising to me. And, and keep going with with your book, but that was one thing I picked up on. Like he would talk about what I don't remember which you know which part of the army it was but he'd mentioned like blah 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 army was over taking care of this city. yeah and so that was kind of interesting to me it's
1: like, yeah because oh, wow. I think in with the but, old braid really I mean the whole book is like maybe and th- not not discounting it but it's only like maybe three devil op- and three operations three invasions or something like that I think he yeah, does. right yeah I don't remember which ones but yeah so the army it's, it's about the army specifically and he talks about you know the beginning talks about what the situation was like. He talks a lot, obviously about MacArthur in the Philippines who, man, it's just, there's just not much to like about him. The more you get to know about him.
0: (laughs) Right. Oh, okay. I'm going to interrupt you again, but all right. So I'm pretty naive. Okay. So a lot of my history, I always had an interest in history, but a lot of my history was like saving private Ryan and what I learned in high school. Okay. That's like my coming of age shit. Yeah. I've learned so much about MacArthur in the last year that it's just like, what in the f-
1: yeah and i
0: mean he's a douche
1: yeah and he won the medal of honor
0: <laughs> <laughs> like that was just to keep him happy right i guess i don't know i don't know anyways yeah keep going but yeah i've learned a lot about him it's like no sh- yeah yeah what
1: a d-bag so i'm only about halfway through the book but they talked a lot about the you know, the prison camps and the, the baton death march and just brutal conditions they talk about and this is this is just it's so upsetting but I don't know. Nothing in World War II really should surprise the people, the cruelty. But, I mean, there were there were times that, like, the Red Cross was delivering supplies to the uh, the U.S. camps in the Philippines, the the prison camps, and the Japanese just wouldn't give it to them. They're like, nah, we're not giving them that.
0: Did, have you read – it's on my list. It was recommended by Dave over at AAC, Rape of Nanking.
1: No, I have not.
0: Okay, so that's on my list, <laughs> which – I th- I, th- I really think the only reason I'm delaying it is because I'm, like, I think it'll be really uncomfortable.
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, have you, do you listen to Dan Carlin? No. Okay. His latest podcast, and he does, like, huge long episodes, and then you have to wait undetermined amount of time for the next one. But he's in the middle of one about the Pacific War and World War Two, and I think the second of this series was about the Rape of Nanking, so
0: there's another one. It's called the other Nuremberg trials and it was recommended by two half squads. Okay. I don't think the book is great just based off on reviews, but it's, it's basically the same thing, right? It's the trials of the, of Japanese after world war two, essentially the same as Nuremberg. But what's crazy about the Japanese after world war two is how much shit was covered up. Like how many people didn't get punished for all the awful things they did.
1: Yeah, he talks about that in Unbroken also. Okay. Yeah, he talks about how his captors, you know, that some of them were just let go, some of them were just sort of ignored. and Yeah, I mean, it was all about having a friend uh, in Asia, so they they let a lot of stuff go so that communism didn't spread any further.
0: Yeah. I I do want to read the Rape and Nanking book, and I want to read that other Nuremberg Trials, but um, I think... I think it was the Beaver World War Two book that kind of exposed. I think he spends quite a bit, of, a good amount of time on the Japanese atrocities. Okay. So that's what you're reading in print. What about audio? Yeah.
1: I just finished one called Janissaries and this is another one. I think, I think Kev or maybe Mitch recommended it. Uh, it's a, another military sci-fi book. It's interesting. It's part of a series. I think it's probably worth going on in the series. Um, but it's about these guys, U.S. soldiers and it's, fictional but you know sort of they're fighting in some fictional african country in like the 70s or something like that they're about to get overrun and they get picked up by a flying saucer and these aliens need humans to conquer another planet there's a whole backstory which which doesn't really matter because spoilers they're not really telling the truth anyway (laughs) um was this
0: written in like the 70s or 80s
1: Yeah. And if you look at the cover of the book, (laughs) it has like the most 70s cover ever. It's hilarious. It Um, sounds
0: like of that time, you know?
1: Yeah. It's interesting, though. um, Basically, the sort of the backstory of the planet is that it has been, the aliens have been sending humans here before. So there's Mm. like, there's a human society there that's like ancient Rome and there's a human society there that's like, uh, oh, like Charlemagne's France and there's a couple others. So. It's, it's kind of silly because it just assumes that these societies got transplanted there 800 or 1600 years ago, and they just sort of remained the same rather than changing like they did on our planet. But, you know, it's okay. It's interesting. What, the thing I thought was interesting is that the people there are not exactly primitive, but more primitive. Um, and there's reasons for that in the book, too. But the guys that get dropped there, they're like, yeah, we've got guns, but we've got like 200 rounds. So... There's not, you know, we can't just conquer the whole planet. Right. So, it's interesting. I'll I'll probably listen to the next one. Uh, Terry, or Jerry Pornell.
0: Okay. Yeah. All right, should we, uh, this is a war game podcast, should we talk about some games?
1: Yeah, I guess so. All right, Uh,
0: let's start with you. What uh, what have you been, games on the table lately?
1: 1870. I finally got to play an 18xx game. And I am undefeated in eighteen XX games now, <laughs> so I think I'm gonna retire.
0: Retire. Yeah, that's yeah. all I that's the only advice I can give you. Okay. Eighteen seventy <laughs> is Mississippi?
1: No, eighteen seventy is right around here. So it basically goes Illinois to Kansas, down to Texas and over to yeah, over to, and then over to Louisiana. So what do you think? Which the geography made it more interesting for me because, you know, obviously I know the area better. Um but yeah, I, I I loved it. I want to play more of it. Well, so um, what's
0: interesting about eighteen XX? And again, I'm, I'm jumping all over. Here, I'm sorry, it, the, the the geography really doesn't matter, right? I mean, you could slap whatever you it, want down on the table and be fine. It doesn't though. But I mean, it, it adds it, to it, right? Like if it, you care about it, right. it's interesting. Yes. Right. It yep. may not
1: matter for the mechanics, but it matters to me. I mean, right. Yep. So in the game, the rail, one of the there's you know I don't know a dozen railroads you can buy or whatever, but one of them was the MKT Railroad, the Missouri yep. Kansas Texas Railroad. Um, which is now a bike trail that I rode and want to ride again someday. So, you know, kind of personal touch makes it more interesting for me at least. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I bought that railroad and I, I, I did, I did win the game, but I feel like I kind of got lucky for, for one, I was the only newbie playing. And I think they kind of took it easy on me. You know, they kind of went cutthroat against each other and took it a little easy on me. But I got lucky in one way because when they did turn on me and they dumped the stock of my railroad, I was able to buy it up and I completely controlled it. But since they trashed my stock, it dropped down into that yellow range. Um, and for those mm-hmm. who don't know anything about 18xx games, there's like a whole... I assume they're all different, but there's a whole board that shows how the stock gets manipulated and it can move up and across depending on what you do. But if it gets into the yellow range, then you no longer, those certificates don't count against the maximum number of certificates you can hold. So I controlled an entire railroad basically with no, and I could still get stock in other people's railroads as well. So at the end of the game, me completely basically privatizing that railroad made a lot of money for me. And that's how I won the game.
0: It's, you're absolutely right. One, every game is different. Only The only game I've played with the yellow stock is 1830. Okay. Uh, which is like the... So there's several that people recommend you start with. Now, I'm a big proponent of start wherever the hell you want. Like, if you want to go dive in, do it. Just know that the stepping stones may not be there for you to dive in. And that's true of war games or Euro games or yeah. whatever. Um, but so that's the only game I've played with the yellow stock where it doesn't count against you.
1: Okay.
0: But... Everything has its own little flavor. Uh, you know, 1830, sure, it, it's kind of the, like, base point to start off of. But then you can go to 1846. And 1846 is more so, like, you saw you're building up these train routes, connecting cities, and you make revenue from the routes that run, right? That's all 1846. You make buku bucks running the best corporation you can.
1: Okay. So 1846 is on the P500 right now. It's pretty low. It's like 185 or something. But I went ahead and threw my name on there just because I thought, oh, that looks pretty cool. 1862 just came Mm -hmm. out. Mm -hmm. And like we just talked about the geography, I looked at it and I'm like, "Eh, I don't really know those places. And if I'm going to try to get people into a heavy game, I think it might be easier saying, hey, this takes place right here. So.
0: Yeah, I think it, you just know your audience, right? I right. mean, if, if someone wants to play 18xx, I think they're going to play regardless of where it takes place. Yeah. But you're right. You may have, like, if you have a local history tie. So I think like something like 1862 is a lot more shenanigans of, like, there's a lot more things to do with stock and company ownership. I own 1862. I haven't played it yet. But from what I gather, there's a lot more things to do with your company ownership. Interesting. Okay. See, it
1: sounds right. like definitely something I would want to try out.
0: Yes. And that's, I think that's like, find your flavor. So I don't know much about 1870 at all. I don't know if it's a stock game or a route game or just like your standard fare, whatever, but they're all so different. Yeah. And so like when I first got in, I was like, well, just stick with 1830 and call it. But like, I have now found 1846 is kind of considered a beginner game, but I love it. And it's because you're just making mad money running these great companies, and you just... I kind of like, if I buy a company, I want to run that company and do my best with it. In other games, you got to let your company go, in some cases. Right, right. To win. And you got to be okay with doing that. Like yeah, whatever, fuck it, I'm done with the B&O. Yeah, and, that's, you know, and just move on.
1: that's a whole strategy in and of itself is how to dump a right. company because you can't just throw it away. You have to sort of trick someone into gaining a majority of it. Um,
0: yeah, that stock priority, yeah. so like who gets to sell first, yeah. right?
1: I would say for 1870, running the routes was a significant portion of the income because I know at the end... um And I I love the upgrading trains. That's one of my favorite parts of the game, forcing other people's trains to become obsolete. But at the end of the game, basically, I had a run that went from like Chicago to, uh, well, whatever the, like the Southwest connector was. And, you know, I mean, at the end of the game, every run, I'm just like, well, I'm doing that. And I'm just going to make, I don't know, 50 or $60 or whatever it was. So it's a significant portion. And since I owned that railroad completely, it was all going to either me or the company.
0: So, um, how quickly, so I, I'm not an expert, right? I mean, any, any 18xx fan that just heard us talking about this is going to (laughs) trash us anyways, because like, so I've probably played six or seven games yeah. you've played one how quickly did your trains progress in that first game like how long did your four trains oh. last or whatever like did you guys move pretty quick
1: they seemed to go faster at the end than they did at the beginning but i think that's because there are fewer of those types of trains in the deck like the four trains lasted a decent amount of time but at the end like we i mean we got to the 12 train i think is what of the highest one was and and i actually forced that because I I was saving up enough money because I think I only had a, again, I'm going to get the numbers wrong. I only had a five train and if someone else had bought it, I wasn't, you know, I was going to lose my train and not make any money. So, um, at the beginning it was sort of a slow roll, but they went faster in the end than I thought they would.
0: So what I have learned and you will learn this is everyone harps like the speed of forcing the next train. So,
1: I loved that. I thought that was one of the best parts of the game. Right, and it's super
0: important. So for anyone unfamiliar with 18xx, there are different classes of train, and typically it's different in different games. I'm going to talk about 1849 here in a little bit. But typically a two train means you can run between two cities so st louis or
1: two stops if there's right, like a town two stops or right or something yeah. so you can
0: count two different places for your revenue for money and then there's a four train which is four places and yada 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 in a lot of games you advance to the two train the four train the six train whatever eventually some other newer train rusts the older train which makes them obsolete
1: yeah so you get to a point in the game where if someone buys a certain train then every train from two or three generations back instantly leaves the game. Now,
0: 1846 is different. Things rust. You get one more run. Okay. But I will tell you, so I've been playing with some guys that really know the game in like 1849 and 18EU and an 1846 game, and we're playing a beginner-friendly 1846 game. And I don't... I probably think three of us have played but the two others really haven't but none of us are like sharks right we're all fairly new oh my gosh (laughs) advance the trains please we are on like the fourth operating round of the first two trains and i'm just like train lock sitting there waiting for someone to do something it like it makes sense now like you should be advancing the trains like you should be looking at the board and i see more i don't see it all the time like Oftentimes it's in your advantage to, uh, like, not leave me sitting there with four, two trains to run. Like, rust those things. Oh, Make, yeah. Send Absolutely. me down to one train. Why give me four trains to run all this money? Anyways, so I'm seeing that going on, and it, it's a great part of the game. You're right. The The train rusting is uh, fantastic.
1: Yeah. And then, you know, toward the end, too, people are starting to play tricks with their trains where they're selling them between the two companies that they own, and it's interesting. I loved it.
0: Good, good. I'm glad. So, uh, anything else? Because if not, we're going to talk about 1849.
1: Well, I want to talk just briefly about Silver Bayonet. I've got that one. Got the rule book on my table right now. I've got it set up and starting to push counters around. I'm playing that one next month at our monthly gaming day. So, all right. Before um, we get to Silver Bayonet, to okay. I'm going
0: to I'm going to just chime in with a little bit of 18XX. I'm playing. So okay. I mentioned 1846. I'm playing 18EU. We're on our second game of that. That's an interesting one because you start with. Private companies, which are different than miners. So, did you have miners in 1870? Like it gave you a certain power and it just provided you income.
1: Yeah, like the the first five cards of the game yep. or whatever. yes Okay. Yeah, we had those. So
0: those are privates, or no? Those are miners. Privates are something only you own the stock in, and they build track just like other things. So, and like 18- I think
1: there's there's one okay. private. Okay. So some games do
0: have those. 18 yeah. EU is everyone. There's 15 privates. Oh, They're wow. all identical. Uh, other than like where they start on the map and they merge into big companies, it's bonkers. I don't know what the hell I'm doing in that game. Like, there's so much going on <laughs> that I can't grasp a strategy. It's, it's, but at the same time, it's also fascinating. So, I mentioned that one real quick. That one's great. The other one that is so hold on. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah.
1: you've got all the privates. Um, 15 of them, 15 privates. How many railroads are available?
0: I want to say there's eight. And what you do is, when you're ready, you can buy your president's share of the FS, which is like the Italian something. Uh You buy in, you can start it anywhere that you have your private. And you merge that private in. So you start off with three three shares in the FS. Okay, so you own 30% of the company. You need 50% to float. But, if you merge in let's say private number three you get the stock the bank of that private as well as the train so mm. if you have 200 bucks cash in that private in a two train those merge in uh, the fs that you just started
1: well it's yeah, I mean, all over
0: the place it's good though
1: yeah i don't i know that there are people that are just super super into 18xx games and i I guess I'm wondering how you keep track of it all. It seems like I'd be going, and, and actually this happened a little bit when we played a couple weeks ago, where someone said, yeah, I'm going to do this, and they're like, no, you can't do that in this game. That's from whatever game. So,
0: I think you'd be surprised. I honestly yeah. think it's a little bit easier to keep track of than war games, um, because the base is there in every game, and it's just like remembering the flavor rules. The yeah. other one I, I need to mention is 1849. This is probably one of the best games I've ever played. It is so tight. We are on our fourth go of it. We've played it. We restarted. Played. Restarted. Played. Restarted. Played. Restarted. Our last game came down to eight dollars, <laughs> which is bonkers in eighteen yeah. XX, especially eighteen forty nine. And it was, and it's tough to say eight dollars. Technically, Duck won um, yeah. over from the AAC Guild, but. We're like, oh, so I was going to win. We're like, all right, let's just run it out, and Matt wins. Well, then someone actually ran it out. It's like, oh, shit, if nothing changed on the board, he wins by $8. I'm like, oh, son of a bitch. So I gave him the win. It doesn't really matter. We're playing by fun. This game is on Sicily. There's a volcano eruption that takes out (laughs) some track, and it is so money tight. It's like everything costs you money to upgrade, and, like, you have to buy companies in a certain order. So it's random every time which companies are available first. If you get a chance to play 1849, Rich, once you have a little bit under your belt, and again, you could probably dump right in. Like I started with one game of 1830, 1846, and I went to 1849. I lost. But yeah. that is a game to learn on. It
1: so is how, awesome. Are you playing on Basil?
0: So there is a game called, Bo- uh, a thing called Board 18. 18- uh, I don't have it on the new computer
1: we well, have to send it to me
0: board 18 that's what it's called it's called board 18. and they have all these modules and then this guy has made these excel dream sheets and so we play by rocket chat okay uh let's all right so that's 18xx 1849 is yeah. fantastic get back uh play that one play whatever they're all good
1: the guys that I played with a couple of weeks ago they're actually they're probably still playing right now they were playing 18 mm. coast to coast today nice which is
0: insane. (laughs) One of the guys is here in Kansas City. So one of the guys that goes to our KC game group, Rex, is a huge 18xx fan, and he is good buddies with, I think, I'm talking out my ass here a little bit, I think one of the 1817 creators lives here in Kansas City, which is supposed Mm -hmm. to be one of the best entries. It's massive, though.
1: Are you doing 18xx at Historic Fest?
0: It's open. We're not doing any... So it's here's the deal. It, yeah, like you can come play whatever you want. Yeah. And I think 18xx would be a great fit. What I don't, and we kind of talked about this when we were planning, I don't want to be like, hey, this is an 18xx convention and then have like a bunch of 18xx hardcore <laughs> people show up and then it's like, why yeah. the fuck is ASL going on over there <laughs> Okay, let's go back to uh, your stuff. So Silver Bayonet. I played yeah. it once. It was fantastic, but I uh, like just barely stuck my toe in.
1: Yeah, that's kind of where I am right now. I'll have more to talk about next month after I play it, but uh, looking forward to it. I I really like the the hidden movement. I think that's pretty cool.
0: Have you punched your counters yet?
1: No, but it's only like one and a half counter sheets.
0: Yeah, and you don't have to clip them. They come out like pristine. (laughs) It's no joke.
1: (laughs) You don't clip? I don't clip.
0: Uh, Oh, yeah. I looked at your U.S. Civil War
1: stuff. (laughs) Give the shivers up your spine. One of these days, I'll do it.
0: It's it's almost therapeutic. So the current yeah. set I have, the problem is, is the newest version of them are not meant to last. They have plastic pieces, and mine makes a terrible noise, and I think it's about to drive my wife.
1: The nuts. actual clippers, you mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you just sit down and watch a TV show or a movie yeah. or something and do it? Yeah.
0: Get a get whatever's that's, comfortable with you?
1: That's usually just when just I clip. sleeve cards. Is, in fact, I'm going to do that tonight, probably. <laughs> you
0: know what? As much as, like, clipping counters, I've gotten out of the sleeving.
1: Wait till you start playing games with your kids; you'll slave again. Okay, all right,
0: fair enough. <laughs> uh, so, a couple of things I want to talk about other than eighteen XX Great Campaigns in the American Civil War. I cycled back to this. The plan is actually you and I are going to be playing this together in May. Shit, right? Yes, yeah, we are. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. You have you have you played
1: Duck and Paul? Right?
0: No, right, but right.
1: I, I picked up uh, Atlanta is ours from Mitch, uh-huh. so I, I'm going to learn that one just to learn the system.
0: Okay, so. Um, actually what's funny is they just talked about this on AAC and their point was the rules look like more than they really are because there's so much there, but you only need a tiny amount of it. Really? Like you just need the basics. So start with a basic game, get the movement stuff down, like play a two or three turn game Mm -hmm. and you will go, Oh, this game's really easy, but the rule book doesn't make it seem that way. Yeah. Nice. So I played a game of that. Which one did you play? Uh, I played, it's so hard because like to me, <laughs> to me, like you could throw an Atlanta as our scenario in front of us. And I would just feel like I'm playing great campaigns in the American civil war. It's not like OCS or, uh, you know, Semenich Zocbon series or anything like the games yeah. really don't. Mean. There's some it's, games it's that are geography. different. Well, now there are some games that are different scale, right? Oh, okay. But really they're all functionally the same. I'll tell you this, and I learned this a really hard way, and it's been told to me. I get it. That game is more about maneuvering than anything else. Yeah. And this guy outmaneuvered my pants off. I got schooled so bad, and it was just a nice, like, you don't need a big battle as the Union way southwest of the objective, because all the Confederates are going to do is run right around you, run to the objective, and game over, sucker. Because you tried to force this big battle, and Great Campaigns is... So much more about just maneuver and getting in the best position. Yeah. It's not.
1: Is there any fog of war at all?
0: Uh, no, not maybe in the campaign games, not in the basics. That's
1: something, I don't know. I've probably 19th century games. And there's some that I really like. us. Civil war is different because it's strategic, but especially when you get to the smaller scale, you know, anything, Napoleonics, us civil war, um, even 1870 Mets, which, which I love the game, but, I always have a little bit of a problem with it because I think they have a hard time showing what cavalry is supposed to be doing, which is locating enemy units or reducing fog of war. But when you can see all the counters on the board, you don't need the cavalry. And I think they take away from its importance in the 19th century.
0: Oh, I'm going to tell you right now, cavalry works great in great campaigns in the American civil war. Cool. You (laughs) you use them to screen. Yeah. Not, not to necessarily identify. And again, maybe it's different in the campaign game. Maybe there's more fog of war. All right, but let's say you're trying to cross a river and I've got cavalry there. Mm-hmm. I can do a cavalry retreat where basically I roll a die and whatever the ultimate result is, whatever the formula is, whatever the number I come up with, eats away from your movement. So, functionally, your cavalry's there. Just harassing. You, yeah, and then, all right, so let's say you have seven movement because how great campaigns work is you roll for your march each time. Let's say you roll a dice and your number is five. All right, great. If I have cavalry screening you, my cavalry just say up three of your movement and now you just have two movement points and my cavalry runs six X's back. Mm. And so it works as it should in the civil war, which is a screening screening deterrent. Yeah. So it, it I think it works in, in this system.
1: I hate the Confederate cavalry playing you civil war by the way, because I'm playing the North and they're annoying me <laughs> trying to grab those little depots so I can march South and like, you know, we'll just like that one away from you. Exactly. 'Cause if if you're in a southern state, they don't even need to do anything. They can't right. grab depots in northern That's states, but
0: Run over it. Yeah. All right. The last thing I want to talk about on the table before we get to our featured games is advanced to Brook system. Yes. Okay. So ASL's an I... enemy. Well <laughs> But is it because so I actually I shit? completely meant to look up as you hear my mechanic keyboard going in the background i meant to actually look up kind of the genealogy of a branch advanced to brook system but to ats evolves from to brook which is an old 1975 avalon hill release yes which was tank brown box i
1: think i
0: was Okay. Well, I don't know. That's before my time, Rich. So
1: to be fair and give context, I have played ATS and I enjoyed it. Uh, I joke when I say it's the enemy of ASL. I'm obviously a huge big ASL fan. Um, I I like ATS. I played it. It was fun. Um, If I wasn't already playing ASL, i sure I'd jump right into ATS. So
0: Tabrit came out first before Squad Leader. So Tobruk came out in 75, okay. but Tobruk's focus was tank battles in North Africa. I think. Makes sense. <laughs> okay, and then so Advanced Tobruk came out, and it's this kind of, so to me it's been sold as an ASL clone. So hearing you talk about it, hearing different guys talk about it, it's like, oh, it's just ASL. And it is, but the biggest difference, and I think you've talked about this before, with Advanced Tobruk is, yes, it's very similar to ASL. It's impulses. So instead of I move all of my squads and then you move all of your squads and we have these different prep fire and movement phases that we go through, it's, okay, I'm going to activate this squad or this platoon. So three squads, it's, I'm going to activate the squad and then you're going to activate a squad. Yeah. And we're just going to ping back and forth.
1: And from what I saw, it could have just been the scenario I saw, but I think ATS uh, had, uh definitely different and maybe better air rules as well because it seems like there was some strafing going on it was pretty cool and asl has a little bit of that but not much
0: yeah so um so i played with mitch like i said um we had our so back up a little bit we had our kansas city historical gaming group meetup the whole plan was mitch was going to do a next war mitchell land the Next War Series Designer was going to do an event at the Command College at Fort Leavenworth, and they were going to play through Next War, the combined game, on Friday. Well, we had a shitty weather, they canceled that, but uh he went ahead and drove up and we played ATS and then the next day we did Onward Christian Soldiers. So we sat down, we played through ATS, and he kind of talked about the differences, and yeah, air combat sounded great. You kind of just run the plane and it runs, you know, down a line. What Kind of going off on a tangent here. There's a few things I want to focus on because what you and I have talked about, Rich, and I've talked about on the podcast before is this year I really want to focus on tactical World War II games and just kind of go through system by system and say, all right, this game may be for you if you like these things or this game sucks or what, Just some kind of comparison, right? We've talked yeah. about that. So some things that said about ATS was the activation and it's such a little thing, but the artillery fire Was like my favorite thing I've seen in a tactical game, other than fighting formations. Have you played fighting formations?
1: Um, I think I watched you play it.
0: Yeah, 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 that right. That is the game you watched me play. So it's got this weird activation system where you're spinning points to attack. Yeah, that's one that has like a
1: like a bar that goes like plus seven and minus seven or whatever.
0: Right, 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 right. Now that's a cool thing on its own. But one of my favorite things of that is when you bring in artillery, you work with this chart that say, okay, I'm attacking hex a six well your die roll you're going all over the place either you know three hexes up or yeah. three hexes this right is fighting or whatever.
1: formations or ats
0: that's fighting okay. formations but it's also an ats okay. so you're rolling on a d are you rolling on a percentage table so you're rolling two d10s and your die roll is going to tell you all right if you rolled an 87 you're going three hexes left and five hexes up and it's it's so cool, like, your first mortar shot is a call for fire, and that percentage tells you, okay, you called for Hex A5, well, really, it ended up in Hex B7. Yeah. And so then you adjust on your next shot. It's such a little ASL thing.
1: ASL does something like that. Does yeah, it? ASL, okay, so I haven't played yeah, with ASL, that. Yeah, ASL, you call in your first shot, um, and... And it, it lands, you know, probably not where you called it. <laughs> um, and where it lands, you can either make an adjustment, which will probably be a little more accurate, because you you've, you can say, well, this is where I wanted it to go. This is where it landed, and it'll. I, I can't remember exactly, but I think like the the error is halved on the second shot or something, because you're trying to dial it in. But at any point, wherever it lands, even if it's off, you can say, screw it, shoot there, and your next, I think, two shots are going to be a fire for effect
0: but do you have like an accuracy table where you're looking at it, a grid it's not like a table
1: su- it's just um it's like an ASL everything it's a it's a 2d6 one is going to be distance one is direction and I think I think probably for all snake guys then it's dead on so
0: okay so this is a little bit different but it does sound, okay so I haven't seen that in ASL so but if if they're similar I love that rule yeah. Any tactical game that has that rule, it's so lit- it's I, I, I was telling Mitch, it's the same thing with Next War. You know, in Next War, where if you have leftover combat factors, you get a I die love roll that. modifier. Little thing, but it's yes, so exa- great. <laughs> it's so simple, yeah. but it's brilliant. And that's the same thing with yeah. artillery. Instead fire of saying, in "How can ATS. I get
1: one more guy in here to get that to four yep. to one?"
0: <laughs> yeah, fuck it. Here's a die yep. roll modifier. Uh, the other thing I liked about ATS was good and bad. It It is bloody. So in ATS, if you score it or an ASL, excuse me, let's go back to advanced squad leader. If you're in combat and you have a fairly successful attack, chances are you may break a squad, which makes them combat it ineffective until they rally. Right. Right. In ATS, you're going to do that. Oh, and you're going to inflict casualties. Any result you have in ATS is casualties. Hmm. It is super bloody. Yeah. Super bloody. AS.
1: ASL, you've done really well if you get casualties. Right,
0: exactly. Now you can do really well in ATS and get a few casualties on one shot. Great, but basically every squad is going to have four step losses. Is kind of how it works. They can break just like they can in ASL, but they become combat ineffective the more. So let's say you inflict a casualty, and you have a five two seven unit. Well, now when he fires, is going to be a four two six. Yeah. So firepower four, range two, morale six.
1: Yeah. ASL sort of has that with casualty reduction or or right, but you have to, you have to
0: ELR or casualty reduce, right? As long as you're scoring some kind of hit in ATS, you're going to cause casualties. Okay. It, which I like, it's also really tough. So we played a scenario from the Fu model, which is the um, – so DMVMFU, if you're not familiar, Bruce Garrick did this fantastic series on YouTube about all these Fu games, which is the French versus Vietnamese in the 19 – I think it starts after 1940s um, – shit, what's the name of the word?
1: Uh, the i think it's just called like the first french indo china war or something I like that I think it's
0: Indochina. I think it's french yeah. Indochina war yeah. and i'm going to get a bash for that whatever so dien <laughs> bien phu took place in the 1950s dien bien phu was basically a command outpost right kind of in the middle of the nowhere all these french guys and the yeah then i mean the... the
1: french is literally it means something like end of the line
0: and it, they just <laughs> yeah. they got their asses kicked right i mean the vietnamese came in and they kept progressing in the lines and I, and they lost right
1: yeah cuz they vastly misunderestimated the vietnamese ability to bring heavy weapons into the zone, which was amazing that they did. I mean, they were trucking heavy artillery up and down these little mud paths. And
0: So these modules, so there's a DMD and FU ATS module and they also critical hit is the company that makes uh, ATS. They also make ASL modules. So when they make an ATS DMD and FU module, they make an ASL module.
1: What? Um, I didn't know that.
0: I mean, oh, I you know, didn't about know
1: critical that? hit, but I didn't know that. Oh, you didn't know that. Oh yeah. That? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, ASL. Right. Wow.
0: Yeah. Yeah. They have way, there's, they have a Korean uh, Tuk
1: Tong Pass. Uh, I'd love to, yeah. I mean, not see now. I'm gonna play ASL Vietnam. Although I don't know how well it but Sometimes
0: the critical hit maps look fantastic. Some of them aren't as great. But so the Dien Bien Phu map is fantastic. We played the Battle for Five Hills. So this is French Indochina War. It's early '54, but basically there's this command outpost and so It's being surrounded by Vietnamese. And we played one where basically the French are on one hill and the Vietnamese on the other hill. There's these um, hedgehogs, but basically all the other defensive positions are destroyed. And how you simulate that in the scenario is you roll and then certain positions get taken out that basically become just like shell holes, which don't provide as much cover. So like in this particular scenario, the kind of the setup is going to be a little bit different each time. Like your whole frontline defenses could be taken out. And basically you advances the French to clear the other trench, and each side has a couple mortars. I think the French have two, the Vietnamese have one, and everyone else has light machine guns, medium machine guns, but the French get two tanks and you have to clear the Vietnamese off this other hill. This other hill is like four hexes away. So it is super claustrophobic, and you're right. Like I think all told, I moved twenty hexes over the course of our game. Now, excluding tanks. Now my tanks came in off the side of the map. They rolled up. That's fine. But like my infantry hardly moved.
1: So can you do assault movement or something like that? It's to- called
0: crawl. There's something else and then there's run. Run is basically like your long distance move. Crawl is like one hex and you get all these modifiers defensive. And then I think there's like assault move or something. Okay. So it's interesting. It was it's a great scenario. I highly recommend it. I really look forward to the system if I stick to that justification, okay, ASL is for World War II, ATS is for non-World War II, I think they're both justified. I mean, I really want to explore this with you and talk about other systems, um, but, like, I think you can make a case for both ATS and ASL. Also, the ATS rulebook is much shorter. Much shorter.
1: I believe that. And easier. <laughs> I haven't seen it, but I believe it.
0: <laughs> one thing, I will talk about one thing in the scenario. So we're playing, and my tanks roll up, and all of a sudden, he just, like, nukes one of my tank, And I'm like, what the f***? How? Basically, I found out there were, like, super bazookas. And that's literally what they were called. So you got bazookas in World War II. And basically, they came out with these super bazookas. I was like, how the hell did you take out a tank in one shot? And, and the Vietnamese had these? Yeah, the Vietnamese had them. Mm. And I was like, so I had to go look up this bazooka. I was like, what's so fucking special about this bazooka? <laughs> and turns out it's called, like, the... I don't know what the bazooka is called like M20. It's like the M20 super bazooka. And it's like the firepower was blah, 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 more effective in the range. I was like, Oh, that makes a whole lot of sense. Like I had no idea they were a thing. Anyways, that was pretty good. I spent, That was just supposed to be a brief synopsis of ATS. And there we go. Huh?
1: It's good. Well, I know where I can play some ATS Vietnam in town. So I'll have to talk to Mitch about that.
0: Yeah. You got, it's a, you got to be careful, though. I'm telling you. It's <laughs> yeah, good. You it's yes, good. absolutely. It's bloody, but it's super good.
1: So the fact that it's... I was going to ask you about this. The fact that it's so bloody, does it make it harder to attack, you think?
0: Probably. You know, the, no. So, and you may know this, too. The, what I've been told in learning ASL is you should always play the attacker.
1: Uh, I think that's the way to get better at it, for sure, yeah.
0: And I think the point is, it's just so you're not sitting there. Yeah. And so I played the attacker, and the mission was like, oh yeah, the attacker is really hard with the French. And it is, it's like, but he was losing a lot too, you know? And I'm just not a very good attacker. I'm not great at these games anyways. Yeah. But yeah, it's... I
1: would I would definitely agree in ASL. I mean, defender seems like it's easier, but attacker is how you get better. Because, right. you know, ASL is is about maneuver more than shooting, so. Especially in some scenarios, if if you can get to a point where you can get guys, uh, you know, surrounded, and that's good stuff. I I love ASO. I just got done playing a game with Paul last week, so
0: I want more of it. I do it. <laughs> so March Madness is coming up, and I really need to practice.
1: Are you going? Yeah,
0: I'm going to oh, do cool. the full thing. Are you going to come?
1: No, I can't make it this year. I I keep I've told <laughs> I've told Dan a couple of times. I'm like, I really want to go, but. And I can't
0: make it that's the same thing I told what's his name in St Louis like, yeah, Jim, yeah yeah I don't
1: think i am going to this one either I'll stop by and say hi but that's
0: it oh you're not going to St Louis either huh
1: I don't think so not this year
0: I I will lose I I, I was telling Kat. I was like yeah so it's this date uh I'll be fr- busy Friday for sure but I was like I think for Saturday I'll should be clear and I'll be out of the tournament so you can just go play like <laughs> I don't know like but you know I've also have only played two full ASL rules so and no vehicles. Yes. You know, so speaking of ASL real quick, at Historic Fest, um, we announced that the Summer Sizzler Hassle we're going to do is the new French CDG module.
1: Yeah, which I know nothing about. I mean, I, I knew that it came out, but that's it. So.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it looks good. It's a gorgeous map.
1: Yeah, I've got two Hassle games here, and I haven't played either of them. That's another thing I want to do sometime this year. Probably Hatton and Flame, but I don't think I'll get Red Barricades out this year. Uh, but Hatton and Flames I think will happen
0: we could make that happen
1: you gotta understand
0: I'm a beginner but I would love to play Hatton and Flames oh yeah absolutely so that's it for although I just spent a lot of time talking about ATS there's so much more to dive into I mean it's just like ASL but I do think we can get a pretty good grasp on it and uh, I think we can uh, we can really compare and contrast and uh, dive into it more this year
1: yeah, World War Two Tactical is a a rich, rich field. and there's other games out there now that, I mean, I, I'm not sure that I would enjoy it that much. But even a game like Undaunted, you know, I saw it, I saw it at Miniature Market a couple weeks ago. It was on the ding and dent for like 18 bucks, and I thought about picking it up. Um,
0: All right, that's not a World War Two Tactical game.
1: Well, I mean. I guess it depends on how 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 much no, you throw no, that. No, 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 no. Oh, okay. I Are you... haven't played it. I know it's a deck builder. I know it's World War II, and you're moving guys around on a little. It's not even hex and counter. It's like a brick pattern, but same thing.
0: So here's what I have for us to look forward to in 2020. Okay. ASL, obviously, right? Yep. Advanced Brook System. Okay. Then we go BRL-1192 Tobruk deprogrammed, which is another reiteration of Tobruk, but I think it's easier. And instead of looking at combat factors on a tank, you just say, all right, this is this tank. Here's its effectiveness against this guy or artillery. Everything's covered, though. Okay. So if you're firing at whatever, you have a result. So that's BRL-1192. Combat commander.
1: That is probably, like, if I was going to, Pick up something new that I don't own at all. That would be near the top of my list.
0: All right, let's play it because I'm not sold on it yet, but okay. I, I keep rehashing. I don't think I played with someone who's that interested, so it never really worked. Okay, so that's four. We got Band of Brothers Screaming Eagles. I will spend more time with, but I played. Have you played that?
1: No. Um, I played. Is it different from Lock and Load Tactical? Yeah. Okay. I have not played Banner Brothers and I played a lot Banner of Banner Brothers
0: before. is the closest I've seen to ASL. It's probably closer to I don't know. I'm probably Uh I don't know. It's maybe closer to ASL than ATS. Okay. I don't know. now I don't know. I'm talking to my ass there. It, it's got things, it has a lot of similarities with ASL and ATS because it's also impulse based. Anyway, so revisiting that. Fighting formations is on the list.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh last hundred yards. Yep. Which you and I both played, right? Uh, but I want to get back to. The other one is Old School Tactical, which is the Flying Pig Games version. Right. Uh, Okay. And the last one I got rid of, but if I was presented a copy, like if someone said you want to play this, (laughs) is the Academy Games game. Uh, You know what I'm talking about? Oh, the
1: uh, uh, Awakening the Bear, Conflict of Heroes.
0: Conflict of Heroes. Yes.
1: So I sold my copy yeah me too <laughs> so
0: all right so maybe that one's not on the listens since neither on it <laughs> i mean but, so that's what we're looking at it
1: was fine uh you know i mean i wasn't did you play it yeah i played it a couple of times it was fine mm-hmm. you know
0: okay well you may you may have to carry that just a, a brief <laughs> comment on that one because i know nothing about it i, I, mean, looked at it, I was like that's my I'm brief comment this. on it. it it
1: was fine if someone else okay and actually i think they're reprinting that one right now or at least maybe so they just came out or something it did and that's my
0: complaint it's like that game's been out granted yeah asl has rad all that but it's like shit this game's been out for 11 years more version 3 or
1: whatever i mean i guess uh one of the good things about that game and i haven't played it but it comes with a solo expansion that i guess from what i've heard has a pretty good sort of ai to play against so
0: yep What seems like a pain in the ass to me is I have version one and I want the solo expansion. And it doesn't work. How do I piece piece that all together? Maybe it's clearer to other people, but I've never looked at it. And so when the third version came out, I was like, that seems like a lot of work. I had the second version, whatever, I'm done. Yeah. So that leaves us with excluding Conflict of Heroes. I've got eight World War II tactical (laughs) games for us to tackle in 2020. This is what you signed up for. Now, Grant, some of those we've played, right? ASL? Yeah. ATS, uh, last hundred yards. Yep, lock and uh, load. I played Banner Bro. Oh yeah, so you'll have to carry. I looked at the lock and load stuff. And I'm like, yeah. But so all, <laughs> we'll <laughs> That was the nicest
1: the thing I can say about lock and load was it was pretty. But the, c-
0: the covers aren't.
1: No, yeah, not the covers, but the the counters in the map are.
0: Let's talk about some featured games. Uh, So you played a game you want to talk about. I played a game I want to talk about. I just spent a shit ton of time talking about ATS. So why don't you go ahead and dive into Red Storm?
1: All right. So there's this game. It's called Red Storm. Air (laughs) War over Central Germany, 1987. I'm sure you've heard of it. Um, I have. It is freaking amazing. I love it. So I first got turned on to sort of this series when I played downtown last summer, which is uh, it's, a, it's a Vietnam game, um, but you play, you know, North Vietnamese and South Vietnamese, it's the air war, you go in, you attack targets and everything, and instantly fell in love with the game, instantly heard about Red Storm coming out, um, and there's actually a third series, a third game in the series too, called Elusive Victory, which takes place in, in Israel, so Arab-Israeli wars. All basically the same game, obviously, slight differences, major differences in aircraft and SAMs and AAA weapon systems, all that stuff, so, um, but...
0: Oh, real quick. Yes. There's also the, uh, air war oh, over France, right.
1: right. That one, what's that one called? Eh.
0: It is called, I just rated it. Um, shh, bloody, April. bloody
1: April. Yes. I don't know anything about that one except that it exists. Yeah.
0: I honestly think the other ones will be way more worth anyone's time unless you have a specific interest in the types of plane in World War One.
1: Yeah. Proceed, please. I agree. There weren't very good surface-to-air missile systems in World War One, so. <laughs> <laughs> Which is really...
0: Lockheed Martin. Yeah. I don't know if Lockheed Martin was around for those Patriot missiles. <laughs> yeah.
1: So, Red Storm, the game takes place um, in a couple weeks. It actually gives, like, the exact dates of the hypothetical war in 1987. There's no ground combat at all. Um, there are ground units, but those units are mostly targets. <laughs> uh, so it takes place in in Europe and Central Germany. And there's tons of scenarios. I want to say something like thirty scenarios in the book. Wow! Um, and even just, I mean, I'm doing scenario three. I've done uh, I've done scenario one and two. I just played by myself solitaire. And scenario three, we've we played a couple times now, and I've played both sides of it. So as as the defender, and you know. some some scenarios, you're actually sending planes across the border both ways as you get later into the war. But at the beginning, it's basically a surprise attack by the Warsaw Pact against NATO. So so NATO sets up its ground units. It's got historical positions for, you know, armored armored divisions and artillery divisions and supply and headquarters and all this. And they've got historical locations on the map. Um, It's also got some historical locations on the map for, like, you know, Nike surface-to-air missile systems and a bunch of others out there. And then there are some mobile AAA and mobile SAMs that you can set up however you want to uh, you know, within you know, some, certain scenario limits. So the Defender sets up his units. Most of his SAMs are hidden. Um, I think all of his armies and everything are, are out there because usually what will happen is the attacking player will roll and he'll have to pick four out of the available 15 targets. And then that's where the real fun starts, because the attacking player is going to set up air raids. So you'll roll on an order of battle, you'll get in certain kinds of planes, and I'll say, okay, you get, this is what a bombing package looks like. You get five bombers, you get two pl- two flights that are going to be uh, suppression, of any air, s- suppression of enemy air defenses, and then you get like three close escort planes to protect your bombers. And you get a couple jammers to jam the, you know, anti the, the SAM radars. So you plan, you you have the map, and you, you have to draw on the map what line what path your planes are going in on, where they're going to make their turn, where they're going to drop their bombs. In addition, you're also going to pick the loadout of your planes. So uh, I'm playing against Mitch tomorrow, and he won't hear this till afterwards, so I can say it now, but I know that I need to take out his artillery, his armor. I've got one supply that I need to hit, and the others are either artillery or armor. So I know that I'm going to be sending anti-tank uh cluster bombs against him because Hmm. those are really effective against armor against that supply unit. I'm going to be sending anti-personnel cluster bombs after. Um, there's all kinds of loadouts you can do. There's anti-radar missiles. There's, uh, you know, cluster bombs, there's laser guided bombs, there's, you can do different attack vectors and you can do lob bombs from like three hexes away. Um, it's really, really detailed. Every plane has detailed specs as far as what it can carry, what its speeds are. And basically any, any plane that's attacked with a bombing mission has to follow that path that you set before him. But I've got other planes that are doing suppression of enemy air defenses, the, the seed missions, so they can just go wherever I send them. The close air guys, they can go wherever I send them. Mitch is gonna have a couple uh, combat air patrols circling around, he's gonna be able to send us wherever he wants. And as my planes approach his airspace, he's going to be trying to pick me up on radar, trying to get some missile locks. I will say that the, the anti-air defenses, the missiles and, and the AAA, seem a little ineffective. Um, when I played against him, it's hard to get a hit. But what you can do is when you're shooting missiles at them, you can get their bombers to jettison their loads and, and go away, which is obviously more effective because then you're not getting bombed. So um, the planning on the game is really the best part of the game. And then when you're playing the game, not that it's not fun, but what you're doing is is you're seeing how your plans work out. So it's it's really amazing. I mean, to prepare for this game that I'm playing, and this is only scenario three, it's not the most complicated scenario. I probably put, put four hours of planning into this game.
0: Okay, so one of the, so when I played Bloody April, which is the only thing I have to compare uh-huh. against this, is you're taking off, you're climbing altitude, and you're crawling across the map. <laughs> so functionally, what does this game look like? Like You take off, how long does it take you to go hit his artillery? Um, basic
1: speed, if for most aircraft, is either... Eh, four is probably average, but three, four, or five. So if you're moving five hexes per turn, um, since you start, your bombers are going to start off of the East Germany map. So it's going to take probably three turns to cross the border. Um, but but during that time, I'm going to be sending in my, my seed guys to be taking out his missiles. So it's not like nothing happens for three turns. I want those guys to be delayed because I want to take out some of his Sams before my bombers arrive.
0: Okay, right. So what's going on on the ground Any kind of like troop movement or anything like that going on?
1: No kind of troop movement or anything like that. But all of the, um, like I said, the armies are basically just targets. They do have inherent defense capabilities. And some of the mobile SAMs can move around a little bit during the course of the game. But for the most part, the armies are the the ground units. Okay. The decision you do have to make, especially as the defender, is when to turn your radars on. Because you've got a lot of hidden SAMs that the attacker can't see. And you you've got you know an acquisition range of maybe seven hexes, an attack range of maybe three hexes. So you need to decide when do I want to turn the radar on? Because a I need to get that ack and fire on him, um, but also as soon as I turn my radar on, I'm a target now. So he may okay. he may be sending anti-radar missiles at me.
0: So it sounds similar to Bloody April, other than seems the the best thing I've heard so far is it's not as fiddly because I don't think you're climbing the altitude is so slow and you're not just crawling what what types of missions are available other than strictly bombing runs are there and then the comet air patrol
1: um yeah so taking out other enemy aircraft bombing runs there's reconnaissance missions um we basically you just said have to have an aircraft get within a couple hexes of a target or something like that those are the main ones um there's a whole list of the available missions but the main ones are bombing reconnaissance suppression of air enemy air defenses so
0: and so what i remember from bloody it's been a while and we only played the one day it w- seemed complicated but like a dogfight fight seemed pretty procedural like okay so let's say you have a mig and whatever like you get into a dogfight. fight have you have you done that yet like what does that feel yes. like is it enjoyable it, it
1: is very procedural there's not a lot of decisions to make once the dog fight starts. Um Basically, okay. if if this is your fir- your pilot's first time in combat, you're going to roll to get his aggressiveness value. Um, higher aggressive is good. Um, but what's interesting is every time they get in a fight, their aggressiveness is going to go down. So even if they survive the fight after two or three, they're not having it anymore. They don't want to fight anymore. Hmm. So it makes it harder for them to engage. Um, once you actually decide, make the decision to engage, it's... I don't think there's many decisions to be made from that. You're going to you're gonna roll some numbers, run, down, through the, run through the procedure at that point. Like I said, most of the game is in the planning itself.
0: Right. So. Which is true of Bloody yeah. April, and I think it's true of the system. Yeah. Um, so, like, what happens? All right, so you have, what do you say, like four targets to knock out? you got to take out his supply and his artillery. Yeah. All right, let's say you do that. Uh-huh. And then your bombers head home. What's left
1: in the game? Is that it? Uh, once all your bombers have basically crossed into your airspace, the game's basically over from there. But um, when, you, when you drop bombs, basically you, you roll to see how much damage they do. If I'm just dropping bombs on like some, like if I'm doing suppression of air, enemy air defenses and I drop bombs on one of his SAMs or something, I'm going to immediately find out how much damage it did because that SAM is basically no longer active if I do enough damage to it. But for the, the, the official targets that are sort of the point of the scenario, uh, you don't find out how much damage you do on those until the end of the scenario, you do a bomb damage assessment. And mm. at that point, you add up how much mm. damage you've done to everything, and that's how you get your points for the scenario and whoever got the most points went. And points come from how much damage you did with your bombs, how many planes you lost, how many pilots you lost. Uh, there's probably some other stuff in there as well, but... The main thing is you you want to get a lot of bombs on target.
0: Okay. Well, that's that's kind of interesting that you don't find out until the end.
1: Right. And I think if you play the campaign game, I think you don't even find out at the end. I think you have to send in reconnaissance flights to find out.
0: Oh, so there's a campaign game. Yes, there is
1: a campaign game.
0: So how many targets are you dealing with in the campaign game? Or is it like different, like you have targets on different days? So
1: in scenario three, the one that we're playing now... um, it's probably, you know, it's, it's got, it's a two map, two map game. But this one is is a small section of that map. Maybe maybe a sixth the size of the total map. Um, and there's 10, 12 ground targets on that one, not including all the Sams and a So you can imagine if you expand to all the entire map, there's going to be a bunch on there.
0: Okay. So just like overall wise, like what do you think about, I mean, the game looks gorgeous to me. I mean, components wise, everything great about it, or
1: yes, yeah, no, no complaints about components at all. They, I mean, all the markers are are great. They, you know, you you can tell exactly what everything is. Um, you can get it can get a little bit fiddly just because. That was going to be my question, right? So yeah. you've got altitude markers on the planes, and mm-hmm. even it's a hex encounter game. So, you, but you can actually you can go spines as well. So really, there's 12 different ways a plane could be pointing at any one time so especially if you've got two different planes at two different altitude bands or you have a dogfight or something it can get a little bit fiddly with uh with the counters and then there's counters as well like um a plane can get a sam avoid counter so you know somebody shot at him and he's taken evasive action a plane can get a disorganized counter because they just finished a dogfight and when i say planes what i'm really referring to is flights a flight is It depends on the the scenario and the nationality or anything, but for the Soviets, a flight means four planes, but that'll be just one counter. So within that counter, those four planes can be disorganized, and there's a a counter to show that as well. So that can get fiddly, but honestly, that's probably my only complaint about it.
0: All right, so that's going to be my next question, is what are your complaints about the game?
1: Yeah, just that, really. Um, I mean... You could say the the setup time, if the planning time is long, if you think of it that way. But I don't think of that as setup time. I think of that as the game. I mean, the game is the planning.
0: Right. and that, So, like, when we played Bloody April, it's like, really what you should do is plan on your own and then get together. Right.
1: And run so together. What, what Mitch and I have been doing is doing most of the setup and the planning on Vassal, and then we'll get together to play it out. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh,
0: are you concerned about replayability? No, not at all. I mean, there's a t- really okay. Yeah, not there's
1: a ton in there.
0: There's so many. I really thought like with Bloody April because in Bloody April you're basically running down like three different trench lines.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean,
0: it's and that's kind of it.
1: Yeah, air combat in World War One compared to air combat in '87. Sure. I mean, it's there's so many different planes and so many different SAMs. Like I said, there's I think there's thirty scenarios in the book. So. And then if I get bored of that one, I've got Elusive Victory on the shelf, and I'll play that one.
0: <laughs> I also have Elusive Victory, yeah. which we should play. Yeah. Um, I, I do want to add one one really quick thing backtracking to ATS, and this is big, and I can't <laughs> believe I forgot it. Okay, you know in ASL, when you, let's say you finish um, Prep Fire and Advancing Fire phase, you clean up all those markers, right? right? So you take off all the orange markers. Right. In ATS, all of your phases last the whole time. And so you have <laughs> so many counters in your hex. It's like, it's a fucking nightmare. Yeah. Like you should only play on vassal. It was nuts. Yeah. yeah I love that's it. a huge complaint of that system. It's like, all right, I've got fire. Now I've got, they have movement markers like for crawling or doing whatever. And sometimes you're supposed to put the marker behind them. It's like, well, I've got 10 guys stacked, you know, butt cheeks, to crotch, you know, whatever. Yeah. So it's like, how the heck am I going to fit 10 extra information counters? Yeah. Anyways, things like that are things to keep in consideration. Yeah,
1: I love the color-coded counters. There is an interesting, speaking of counters, though, there's an interesting sort of identification of the plane. So basically, when a plane or a flight first enters the map, it just shows up as a generic counter. And it'll have some sort of marker on there so that I know what it is. I've got a separate sheet that shows what all my planes are and everything. Um, but at some point, you will be detected and you will, you will flip over that counter to become, you know, uh, an identified counter. And then at some point, you'll be visually identified as well. And then at that point, they can tell exactly what kind of plane it is and all that. So there's sort of three different levels of identification. Um, but those counters are never gonna be on the board at the same time. It's always gonna be right. one of those three counters.
0: You're not moving three of them no. because I mean you are so like, let's say you have your flight counter and you have your altitude counter and then you may have like your same counter yep. or whatever, whatever. So that's like at least three. And yeah. And there's
1: always going to be two. I mean, you could put it, you could put your, your, uh, altitude counter behind it if you want to. Um, sometimes we do that, but there's always going to be at least two counters for every flight, the flight itself and its altitude.
0: Okay. Oh, uh, so your one complaint, what, Else stood out like anything else that really shined about the game.
1: Um, like I said, I just I love the planning aspect of it. I, I I I like this idea of we talked about the baseball games before, and I briefly mentioned a computer game my brother and I used to play, a computer baseball game. One of the things I, I've never been like good at fast twitch stuff. So like playing sports games, and I was oh, never that good at them. But I always liked playing the manager, making those decisions, and this kind of feels okay. like. You are, you know, you're you're a general in the Air Force, and you're planning the raid, and then you say, okay, go do it, guys. I really love that.
0: So, really, if someone's looking for, like, I mean, I don't think it'd be a bad choice if someone, like, said, hey, I want to play an air combat game just knocked over okay so if someone came to you and they're looking for an air combat game maybe this isn't the best yeah i think it
1: depends on what they want because with no other information if someone came to me and said i'm looking for an air combat game i think i'm gonna assume they're looking for something tactical they they want to they want to see planes flying circles around each other and this is not that game
0: they're looking for a wing leader something
1: like that yeah i'd tell them to play i'll tell them to play (laughs) x-wing
0: exactly okay so this is cold war gone hot so it's all fictional. Do you recommend any reading for it?
1: Uh, you know, when I picked up the game, the first game I read again was Red Storm Rising, but it doesn't Red Storm Rising doesn't have that much air combat in it. Um, I can't think of a good air combat book that really covers stuff like this.
0: Okay, so this is East Germany and like what, Poland or what?
1: Uh, well it's it's Warsaw Pact versus NATO. So the NATO okay. you'll get um, basically, w- when you when you play the the Warsaw Pact, you're on most raids, you're going to sort of roll a die at the beginning and you're going to find out if you're sending German planes or if you're sending Russian planes. Um, because, oh, I'm
0: sorry. Ge- geographically, where are we looking?
1: Oh, at? yeah, it's it's right on the border of East and West Germany. OK,
0: yeah. OK. Yeah, right, the, right, the border right.
1: runs through the middle of the map, so. But they do have different air sectors for the different NATO nationalities. So if you're in this sector, you're probably going to be going against Great Britain. If you're going against this sector, you might be going against the U.S. and so forth.
0: Okay. Anything else you
1: want to say about the game? Uh, just want to play it more. <laughs> All
0: right. All right. So I really want to dive into it. Um, I, I've rehashed this several times. As soon as I played Bloody April, my thought was I want to play this with Jets. I want to blow shit up. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to crawl, you know. Um, so this is like, this is awesome. I, I do agree with you. I think the, my biggest complaint with Bloody April is the actual planning rules left a lot to be desired in terms of like, what the hell am I supposed to do for planning? And how specific do I need to be? Like in the World War One game, you're supposed to go take photographs, but it's not super clear on what you're actually supposed to do in the planning phase. So I hope that's alleviated in Red Storm. I, I do really want to play this game.
1: Yeah. The rules are pretty detailed. I mean, the rulebook is big, but a lot of that is because it it does give, um, you know, specific instructions on everything. There's tons of play rates. I think there's seven play rate cards. And some wow. of them are aircraft data cards, but most of them, uh, one of them is a solitaire bot card. I think four of them are charts and tables that you'll need to play the game. And you'll you'll be using them a lot. You'll go into those a lot. And sometimes you'll be like, okay, well, which one is this playwright card on? But most of those also reference the rule in the rule books. So you can look up the details of the instructions as well.
0: All right. Uh, I think the next thing to do is let's rank it. So All right. you're new to the every game Ever
1: list. I, yes. I'm not new to it, but I'm new to participating in it.
0: So here's what you need to realize. We're merely the arbiters. Our (laughs) role is only to take these games and to find where they belong on this completely unbiased, completely fair ranking of every war game ever. All right. Uh, so I think where we need to start is we're up to eighteen games. There's a full list, but I think what's something that you've played off the list?
1: Next war India, Pakistan. And US Civil War so um So I have not played Beyond the Rhine, but I've seen it played, and I'm starting to to read OCS rules as well. Although I'm having to push them back because I got other games that I'm playing first. So I think I'm slotting it in at number three. I think it's all right. All right. Oh, hold (laughs) on, hold on, hold on, hold hold on. I think it's better than Next Door India Pakistan. Mm -hmm.
0: I, so I have a couple of questions for you because here's here's what next war in India Pakistan does one it has my one of my favorite combat resolutions of all time yes very good second it has it's a simple but detailed air combat system so you get air combat and here's here's the other thing when I look at these games when I look at something like Stalingrad 42 which I've ranked below next war India Pakistan or beyond the Rhine or U.S Civil War is they tell amazing stories. Okay, so when I'm playing Beyond the Rhine, I, I tell this great story of making it to the Rhine, And, you know, just trying to cross or, you know, landing this beautiful airstrike against this giant stack of guys that they've left in strategic movement and left vulnerable. And my question is, and my concern with these types of games is, what kind of story do they tell? Are they really telling this story of, you know, Stalingrad 42, the whole East Front around Stalingrad is open up to you. You can go explore whatever you want and try these different strategies. Is that there? In Red Red Alert or Red Storm, I'm sorry, Red Alert. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's commands that the, and colors the games or computer games.
1: Game. So, yeah. so, one thing I like to do when I play a game is I like to ask myself, "Who am I playing in this game? Am I a company commander? Am I the the commander in chief in this game?" Like I said, I'm I'm planning that raid. I'm the general in charge of the the air forces in 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 Europe or whatever, and I like sitting in that role. And having to hand some of it off. So that's the story that it tells to me. Is is not is is making the plans and then hoping that those plans go well. Now I will say, Next war India Pakistan, I, I think I like this game better than IP. I don't like it better than Next War Poland.
0: So Okay, so one thing I've said <laughs> is I don't I've only played India right. Pakistan. And I, think, and I don't think this is a knock against the system. I don't think India-Pakistan is the best game in the right. system. Now, a couple follow-up questions. Is, is the story different? All right, so if you're the commander in Scenario 3 and you play it, and then you go back to Scenario 3, is the story going to be the same? Or if you're playing the campaign, is the story going to be the same? In Scenario
1: 3, I'm sure it'll be the same. I haven't played the okay. campaign yet, so I can't right. comment sure. on that. But there sure. is a campaign game where one feeds to the next. So,
0: Okay. Now, one thing I know you've played is the Zock Bond. Yes. L- and you like those games, right? Yeah.
1: I mean, I would say that might be my favorite operational series as of right now.
0: Okay. Let me tell you something. Stalingrad 42 is the best Zock game to date. And I will stand by that and
1: defend that. See, I can't, I can't argue with it because I haven't played it. I do love Normandy '44, though.
0: Okay, so is Normandy '44 your favorite? Oh wait, no, not favorite? Normandy '44. I like it? Holland
1: '44. That's my favorite. Okay,
0: so you, Holland Holland '44. That's your yeah, favorite. Holland is my so favorite. Far. Yeah. And you think Red Storm is better than Holland '44?
1: I do. Yeah, I like wow. I like this one better than Holland '44.
0: Okay, and you like it more than x one in Pakistan. Yeah. All right. Well, really, I'm at your mercy here, and that's the beauty of this list. It's not really list. It's not my it, list. Yeah. We're merely arbiters. We're only finding homes for these games. And who am I to argue if the true spot for Red Storm is,
1: golly, Rich, number three? I mean, uh, uh, of, of these eighteen, I think that's where I would put it.
0: Wow. But okay. So with out playing the game ever, get? I was Who's looking at like year? number eight. Number eight. So So above SPQR. Yeah,
1: I, I would definitely But again I haven't, okay. I haven't played
0: I haven't played. I haven't
1: I like Battle Him a lot. I would put Battle Him lower than that. So Okay. I, I mean I could see if you wanted to drop it down to five, that's as low as I would go without fighting you. Well, but your point <laughs> was
0: next war in India Pakistan. Yeah. That you think this is better than Next War in India Pakistan.
1: I think so, yeah. Wow. Wow. But I don't think it's better than next war in Poland. So we gotta get that on the list.
0: Okay, all right, all right. We're <laughs> gonna find a home for it right now, because right. I think the next game we talk about is uh, is something you haven't played. So number three, all right. So that's gonna come in below Beyond the Rhine, which I think is one of the best, but not the best OCS entries. I really think Korea is gonna be my favorite. I've talked about that at nauseum. Beyond the Rhine is fantastic. Um, so we're gonna do Red Storm number three above Next War in the Pakistan, below Beyond the Rhine. So what you're saying is that's the third best war game of all time to date so far out of 19 games.
1: (laughs) I think so. Yeah, I'm going to stand by that.
0: Okay, cool. Fine. Uh, We will revisit this. We will. (laughs) You will have to defend this when I finally play it. Okay. Uh, So I played a game, and this is a game. So this started with I wanted to play Here I Stand. And Rex came to me, and he says, hey, hear me out on this game. And he sold the off of onward christian soldiers which is a richard bird game covering the first second and third crusades you can either do the first crusade or the second or thirds and i think there's like an intro like what if for the second crusades but like historically i don't really think the second crusades were really that important like i think the meat is first and third
1: we're talking about what um, 900 or so uh late
0: thousand oh, okay. early 1100s 1200s okay, got it um. So this is a grand strategy game, well, probably sh- I would say strategy game. There's several armies involved, and the beauty of this is it plays one to seven players. I wouldn't play this solo. I have no interest to in bring it solo, but boy, this game is made for six or seven people. We had seven people planned. We had one player drop out, so we bumped down to five. The problem with bumping down to five is that makes uh, two players control the Crusaders. I think this game is meant to be played with four different Crusader factions. So you do
1: have to have all factions, even a lower number of players?
0: Yes. So there are four Crusader factions, Northern Franks, Southern Franks, Sicilian Normans, and the Germans. And then there's three Muslim factions, Southern Syrians, Northern Syrians, and I think it's like Mosul Turks or something like that. And basically what happens if you go any less than seven is someone ends up playing a couple different factions. At six, you just combine the Syrians, and I think it works okay. The problem is, is the Crusaders have these weird victory conditions. And so what happens is after you play through a year of the game is the Crusaders need to declare their victory points. And usually it's like Jerusalem or Antioch or Aleppo or whatever, but it doesn't make sense if I'm controlling two different factions, I need to set five different victory points for each of them. So, I mean, they to, could be the same. Do but you like,
1: have to go by like, in here I stand. If you control two, I think you have to go by your lower of the two. Is that
0: the way it works? No, it's like, all right, so let's say I set five cities as the Germans. For each of the five, I don't capture, I lose a point. But all the others are worth points. So, like, Aleppo's worth 15 points or something. So, let's say I just take Aleppo and then I miss my other four, I have 11 points. Okay. So, the weird thing about if you have two factions is you take that total and you divide it by two. But you're also missing a bunch of cities because you have to pick five. It's a really – the scoring with less than six is an issue. But let's get back to the game real quick. Okay, so... Did you play with six? We played with five, which was my complaint. I really... I Here's the deal. So I like this game a lot. Let's just cut to it real quick. As soon as we were done, I was ready to get back into it immediately. And so our fifth player left about halfway through. He had something else going on. again, we had planned for seven. It just didn't work out. All of us... Uh, we were down to four i think all of us were like super into like oh you could do this you could do this or we could refine the game like this so this is a bird game it's got some rules issues that's the first thing to say <laughs> like the rule book is ambiguous or problematic at parts but i think if you went into the game with the majority of players knowing it that you just work that out beforehand and you'll be set
1: have you played genesis
0: yes okay G- yeah i have how's this compare better but i actually really like genesis i think one of the problems with genesis is the factions aren't balanced in genesis i think this is a little bit more balanced okay the beauty of this game is the sicilian normans only have like 30 strength points they don't get reinforcements for the game and attrition is a bitch and so you need you need two plays of this because the first play you're gonna learn about attrition and you're gonna learn about attrition hard. In my in my <laughs> first turn, my first two turns, I lost ten ASPs between my armies. Yeah, and that's like an eighth of my army for the game. I'm done. Like, that's ten guys. I'm never recruiting them back ever as the crusaders. How,
1: how long is a turn in this game? Is it a year or? It's like
0: a couple months.
1: A couple months. Okay. Yeah.
0: You're commanding an army. You have two leaders. You have an overall, like, a four-star and a three-star. Your four-star at all times must have more ASPs than your next lower-ranking general. Or it's not a general, but your leader, right? The -hmm. deal is you want the lower-ranking leader to have all your strength because they're a lot better. They can do a lot more. But you always have to have the majority of your army with your big head guy.
1: Why can they do more? Is it like okay? So they have a they or? have
0: a campaign rating, and then they okay. um and okay. So your attrition is based off movement.
1: So let's say
0: I'm activating Baldwin the first, and he's a two four, and the four is his number. I need to roll under to do more things with him. So I activate him for movement. I can stop. I do a movement attrition, which basically you total up how many guys were you moving with, how far did you move, what's the weather like, and then you. If you're over 14, after you total everything up, you subtract 14, you have to lose that many SPs. Remember, the Crusaders never get reinforcements, so movement attrition is a bitch. Technically, you can, as the Crusaders, enter the map and go straight to Jerusalem on first on the first turn. But you have to take all these attrition points based off every point you enter. It's a point-to-point game. It has a, an attrition value. So you can go as far as you want, you just have to take attrition. Okay?
1: I like that.
0: But let's say I stop. Okay. So I move eight points and I've got, you know, weather adds two and I've got 40 guys with me. And so my attrition is 14. Okay. I don't take any losses because 14 is the number. I don't know why it's there, but that's the number you need to hit. I can re-roll with Baldwin. If I roll under a four, I can start moving again. So you can move along, take your attrition, reactivate, move along But you have to hit under that number. And so it's kind of like a pressure lock, like pause, gather supplies or whatever, models, and then keep moving. And so he's better because he's got a 60% chance, whereas your main guy is probably like a 4-3 or something like that. He's got a campaign rating of 3, and so you have a 50% chance of continuing on with him.
1: So what is that modeling that the the higher-up guy has lower stats?
0: I think that they were just better commanders. So, like, I think Baldwin. So it's
1: historical figures they're modeling. Yeah, yeah.
0: So God. Okay. So with the Germans, Godfried's the kind of the head guy, but Baldwin, I think, was really the guy that showed the initiative. Baldwin also became the first king of Jerusalem. So, like, I think overall he was a better military leader. In each faction's a little bit different. I, I'm I'm trying to think of what I'm trying to say here. So, like, the Northern Franks have three leaders, and like they're. Top guy isn't really that bad, but he's also more expensive. So how you start the game is you draw a chit, and that gives you, let's say, 10 resources. Okay, Then you're going to buy cards for the different leaders, and how you activate is this card deck. So let's say I buy two Godfrey cards and one baldwin card okay well godfrey costs four so each card is four and four that's eight and then one baldwin is he's a two that's ten and then those three cards go into the stack we shuffle when that leader comes up you can activate them so the better guys are cheaper to buy than your main guys and they can move more does that make sense yeah Okay, uh, so that's how the turn works. You buy these cards, you shuffle up your deck, and then you're going to activate all these leader cards, and that's when you can activate. And so you can activate them for movement, and let's say you move into a victory point city, you can then conduct a siege, and you lay siege to the city. Um, there's also all these event cards, and so like you can introduce fleets, and there's plagues, and all this stuff is going on. It's um What's interesting is... Right. When the Crusades started, obviously the main goal is Jerusalem. Well, shit, as the Germans, you can say, "Ah, eh, whatever, I'm going to go found the county of Edessa. Screw you guys, I'm starting start my own kingdom. You can do that, but really as the Crusaders, you have to work together. But fuck it, you can attack each other.
1: Yeah, that's actually what I was just about to ask, is how much interaction there was between the two sort of common factions, the Crusaders and the, the Muslims, or whatever the other three are called.
0: There's seven of you. Only one of you wins. Yeah. (laughs) So even if the Muslims are doing great, well, it's too bad. If the Southern Syrians hold Jerusalem and Damascus and something else, like they're probably going to win. Right. Yeah. Because they're all on their own and they hold the most. So what's interesting is when the Crusaders, let's say we all siege Aleppo. So the Germans are there. The Northern (laughs) Franks are there. Well, you have to agree who's in command. And so you're like, fine, all right, the Northern Franks can command. Well, the Northern Franks lay siege, and let's say they get it down to one more point. If the German card comes up next, the Germans' cards can say, all right, I'm going to lay siege of the city, and the Germans can run in, which is – that's how it works historically. The rule was like it's basically whoever got there first was yeah. the one who got the spoils. Hmm. And so that's kind of like either you agree, and then you say, all right, the Northern Franks can take the city when they get it, or you can say – Now we'll work it out or you can make whatever deals you want and you can make deals with the Muslims. So you can say, all right, I'll stop uh, laying siege to Aleppo, but you need to give me this. Or if you capture a leader, you get a replacement leader, but they're not near as good. So it's like, all right, you give me Aleppo and you get this good leader back. And so there's all this diplomacy going on, and I think you need, you really, I think, need a play of this game to understand, like, what things you should be negotiating. Because we hardly negotiated, but there's a lot of things I would have done differently. So much I would have done differently. The attrition is brutal. Basically, at the end of every turn, you have your movement attrition as you move, and then wherever you end up, if you're not in a town or a port or a victory point hex, you're going to take a shit ton of attrition. And so I think the Crusaders need to work out a strategy, and they have to work together, but only to a certain extent. Because there are some cities that are a pain in the ass to take, and you can either skip them, or you work together and try to knock them out as soon as possible. I don't know.
1: How long did it take to play the game?
0: Uh, We played basically... I think we got through just over half in eight hours. Oh, wow. So it's... I would say if you had seven experienced players, you could knock out the full First Crusade in probably 10 hours. Okay. So the deal with the First Crusade is it's supposed to be more about negotiation and diplomacy. If we did not play the Second and Third Crusades. Those are supposed to be a little bit more like combat focused. I don't know how true that is. I mean, Richard Berg makes grand claims in all these games. So <laughs> What's the is. combat like? Pretty interesting. Um, it was pretty rewarding. It's actually pretty close to Genesis with a little bit like, really, the Muslims don't want to face the Crusaders on the open field because the Crusaders have knights in the first Crusade. Again, this is all, we only played the first Crusade. So everything I say is about the first Crusade
1: only. They're different games. So does it feel like three games in one box? Is it that different? or?
0: You know, I haven't, I just ignored all the second and third Crusade rules Okay, because the first was enough. Um. yeah, I mean, not fully distinct games. It's like, all right, here's one game and here's an expansion almost, but I think they're different enough. Um, Combat's pretty interesting. So you tally up and then you look at, you basically have a shit ton of combat modifiers you look through, which I tend to like. I like a good meaty... DRM modifier, all that stuff. And then it's, um, percentage based. And if you outnumber the force a lot, like the attacker, let's say they outnumber them three to one, your percentage is based off of their strength. So let's say it's eight to one and the defender causes 15% casualties. Well, the advantage there is the attacker only takes 15% of one, which is zero. And there's cool stuff like that. I really like the comment. It's nice. Okay. Uh, so big complaints for the game the rules,
1: yeah. Poor. Either yeah, poorly written, <laughs> just
0: poorly written rules. Like they're clear, but it's like, well, that's not really fair, and well, that doesn't make sense. Or just ambiguities. The victory points are weird. Like I said, so after
1: I, he, I want to go back to that. You're talking yeah. about the the five cities. Do you so is it always the same five cities, or do you select them? Which ones you're going for in victory?
0: I think there's eight or nine cities that are potential. So, like, Jerusalem's worth 25 points. And there's some minor cities that are worth, like, five. Got it. But you're not selecting
1: five personal targets for yourself. You are. You are? are. Okay. After
0: a year. And here's the deal. If you don't pick Jerusalem and someone else picks Jerusalem, you lose points. (laughs) Uh, Oh, no, no. You don't lose points. You have to send part of your army to go help Jerusalem.
1: (laughs) Are those secrets? A secret? Objectives? Uh Okay.
0: Interesting. It's interesting. I just don't think it – I think it will be fine if you have four Crusaders. I really do. Yeah. I just don't – I don't think it works with if I'm controlling two factions, why am I picking ten cities? Or why am I picking five of the same cities when I know one of those factions is the only one that's going to get it?
1: So you think six is the minimum number of players for this one?
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Okay. I mean, five was fine. I had a blast. I really did. I was like, let's – I would go again. Um, I think this shines and really sings at six or seven. They say it's designed to play fine at two, but
1: yeah, man, I, mean, I think here I think I where the has shines is two like two player rules too, but I don't know about that.
0: <laughs> well, this came with two player rules though, and I think where the shines is like the Normans they can't do shit on their own, so it's not really imbalanced. But like the Normans either need to like find holes because they only have thirty ASPs, they don't get any more. That's it for the whole game. And so they either need to join in other sieges or they need to find some other way to take cities.
1: So how asymmetrical is it? Do the Normans have some ability that lets them make up for that or you're just (laughs) screwed if you're the Normans?
0: (laughs) The, the asymmetry comes in through the number of knights, your quality of leaders and the number of guys you have. The Muslims are a little bit more samey other than where they start and There's some weird rules for the, excuse me, muzzle Turks, but they can like recruit. And so that's the hard part for the Crusaders is you can't just let them run wild, but you also have to keep them down, but you also have to know that reinforcements are coming.
1: So that's hard. All three Muslim factions can recruit reinforcements. Yep.
0: It. I had a blast playing the Crusaders, I think you better know what you're doing. It's not, I don't think it's easy to win as the Crusaders. So, I mean, when we were done, we called it. I think we had a competitive game going, but at some point we're just like, the Crusaders made too many mistakes and have attrited out. Not that we lost battles or anything. It's just like, we took too much attrition. We did things wrong. We either stopped our points, which. Very heavy attrition if you have a big army. Basically I had three armies stacked in one point, which is a big no no. And I got hit hard twice from that.
1: Is it a one map game?
0: Yeah. Okay. One map. How's it look? Uh yeah, it's pretty good. Um, let's see. This came out I think I would start looking things up like this. I don't know, two thousand eleven or something like that. And so it's pretty good. No, 2006 is when this came out, so a little bit earlier. Uh, it's fine. And it works okay. You have these army boxes. I would say it doesn't work near as well if you don't use the army boxes. We had one guy that was kind of, like, not using the army boxes. <laughs> and we kept subtly, like, hanging, like, you should use those army boxes. And at one point, Mitch just picked up all his counters and put them in <laughs> army boxes. we like, all right, we're done with this shit. Uh, so the activation system is really cool. Movement is cool. Like, you can go as far as you want, but... You got to deal with that. Combat was fantastic. Um, The event cards are cool. It's just the rules are an issue, and the victory conditions aren't ideal. And it's hard. I really do think it's hard to win. Had you read the? You cannot fuck up
1: is the deal. So had you read the rulebook before you started?
0: Uh, I read the quick play rule book okay. and then the next day I read some of the rules and then really Rex did a full teach. I can't, I showed up. I was like, I gotta be honest. I did not prepare adequate. Usually I read the
1: rule book. Right. That's what I was wondering is if, if you hadn't really read the rule book, can it be taught as you're playing or not?
0: I think it depends on the faction that they're stuck with. So one of the guys read only like a small amount and he took the Southern Syrians, which the Southern Syrians are are a weird boat unless they go on the offensive against other Muslims or kind of just playing defense. And so it's like, well, what does he really do? And if he doesn't really know the game, there's not really a lot for him to do. He did lay siege to one of the, the Egyptians have... Um, some ports along the coast and like you can go take those he did do that it's six weeks per turn by the way is what it is
1: okay and how i guess you said you made it about halfway through but how many turns would a full game be
0: i think we said like 16 okay because that's the, the crusaders are racing against the clock So like you could take it low like you could go slow but, one, the game will end, and two, the Muslims are going to just build up an army, which you can't let happen. The deal is with the Crusaders is you can't take attrition. You need to catch the Muslims on a field of battle. You need to keep their numbers down.
1: <laughs> that's that's <laughs> like, a lot. It's just like, it just keeps adding. <laughs> you just
0: like keep going with shit like that. And it's like, man, you better not screw it up. And pick your targets. I mean, I I made a lot of mistakes. I sieged Antioch for too long, but the siege points in Antioch were like you'll be there forever if you really try. Like it would it would take you less time to see Jerusalem than it would Antioch.
1: Is that based on the the strength of the city itself, or based on the defenders within it, or?
0: Uh, based off the def- so each city has its own like siege defense. Okay. And the defenders are in there and they can basically run sorties out. But once the siege defense falls, if you get through, the whole defense falls and it's they're all dead. You can let them go. Like, you can make deals. So, like, if the siege defense falls. So, let's say you siege Jerusalem and there's a stack of 20 guys. In there and then you're like, all right, yeah, you can all go. But you need to give me this city. There's resources in the game. They're not super valuable. They're, like, not even worth mentioning. They're such a small piece of the game. Hmm. So it's good. Uh, it's got some problems, yeah. but it's also one of those games that like, wow, what a story, you know, like I had, so I had the Southern Franks and the Germans. Cause I, I said, I wanted to play the Germans cause of Baldwin the first and the Southern Franks. I finally took a city after I gave up on Antioch. I took, uh, Hama or something like that. It's basically South of Antioch. But the deal is during the siege, I, you need to get resources to your army during a siege. That's the one point they matter. We had a port city that I had to defend. It's like this great story. The Southern Franks were like their crappy leader with 10 SPs was just sitting there holding this port open while the siege happened. And like they had a beautiful defense. And so it, it told an interesting story, which I always really like. And I think you're all, if if you have people that are invested in the game, you're going to get really excited about it. I think if you get someone that's like ho-hum, like, uh, yeah, I'll play. But they don't really like all right, what can I do as a Southern students if they don't get excited about them? I don't think it's going to grab them unless they have an interest.
1: Yeah, the worst is when you play a big game like that and then you can tell somebody's losing interest and they're like, yeah, I got to be going and everyone else is into it, so.
0: Yeah, and there's some like a little bit of take that stuff, like some of the event <laughs> cards, like you can make you can make a leader ineffective for a time. Yeah. And it's great, but yeah, it just takes people out of it. And it's it's one of the things that's cool is like I said is all right fine you play the Northern Franks you have the strongest army you can do whatever the hell you want you can go for Jerusalem you can go like yeah I'll help you guys out and then you go just like run buckshot over Northern or uh, uh, I guess that'd be Southern Turkey. So.
1: so with these big experience games like this, um, one of the one of the questions I kind of ask myself with these is. If I could play this as many times as I wanted to, as often as I wanted to, like how many times a year would I play this game? So if you could play this as much as you wanted, how many times a year would you play this?
0: Uh, I'm really high on it right now. So that's like that's kind of hard to say, you know, cuz like right now it's it's hitting all the notes for me. Gosh, you could probably play this three or four times a year. Yeah. Cool. I and I think not get sick of it. And that's, that's without even experiencing the second or third crusade, which in the third crusade, you get all kinds of cool shit. Like you get Richard, the Lionheart and Saladin, and like all the Frederick Barbarossa, like you get all the big guys in the third, um, crusade, you know, but yeah, I think you could really, if you had seven people that wanted to play, you get your money's worth from it. Um, so one of the things I want to talk about real quick is recommended reading for it. So. Uh, like I said, the Crusades—that's not an area of history for me that's really caught my attention. This game focuses primarily on the first, second, and third Crusades. Actually, that's all it focuses on. With a really, I think the focus being on that first Crusade game. I think that's the game that's their draw. Um, so when I when I when we said we were going to play this, I started reading the Crusades: The Authoritative History of the War for the Holy Land by Thomas Asbridge. This is. An 836-page book or something ridiculous like that, it's super approachable. It makes the Crusades an interesting topic. It spends a good amount of time on everything, so it covers all the Crusades. You could read the first, I don't know, probably the first half is first through third Crusade. They spend a lot of time on Saladin, maybe almost too much. I I think he goes out of the way to cover the, the Muslim side, like that's one of his objectives, more so than the Christian side but i really found the first and third crusade content specifically in this book very very interesting very readable which i think says a lot for the crusades i think it was written in like the late or early like 2010s or something like that i was told and i didn't confirm this that he wrote a much shorter bigger picture crusades book that's like 300 pages that's thomas asbridge so i definitely 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 recommend that book in print or audiobook the audiobook's really well narrated super easy to follow
1: We'll have to put that on my list of things to try out Was it Mitch's game did yeah. he bring it?
0: no no um, okay. we, we were kind of like hey we want to do this will you join us <laughs> so I don't know like what your interest level is in the Crusades I think having an interest in this particular area of history really helped. Um, I think if I like, didn't have the historical background, I wouldn't maybe not be as high on this because again, like my crusades was like middle school, man. It's been a long time since I went back to the crusades that book helped. I would go there. Um, I have probably 5% left in that book and when it's done, I'm going to give it five stars on Goodreads.
1: Yeah. Uh, if I if I read the book, I'm sure that I would immediately want to jump into the game, just because so, I know myself.
0: <laughs> so you can find a deal for the game. I didn't pay very much for it, but I was like, shit, I will offer a game to this for someone to design the vassal module. And then I went to go price it out. I was like a hundred bucks. I was like, mm, just kidding, <laughs> because that's a little steep for this game. It's not super heavy. It's really not. It's just the rules are kind of a mess.
1: So, where does it land on your list?
0: Okay. So, ugh. all right, here's here's what I'm looking at immediately. It's better than SPQR. It tells a better story. As much as I like the SPQR game design and, like, the tactical ancient stuff's fine, all you're doing is advancing lines at each other, right? Like, when you play SPQR, I think you're really going to like it. It's just, like, it's tactical ancients, you know? Like yeah. There's not a whole lot of excitement. There's some cool shit in this. Here's where I start to struggle. I th- it's not as good as Battle Him. So I'm looking Blitzkrieg Legend, Normandy forty four, SPQR Deluxe is kind of where I'm thinking in this game. It's got rule issues. I don't think Normandy forty four and Blitzkrieg Legend or Battle Him have those rule issues. Battle Him had some ambiguities, but it makes up for the gameplay. Um Oh, this is tough.
1: Have you played those? You played Normandy, right? Uh no, I have well what have I played Normandy? I'm trying to think. No, I have not played Normandy 44. I played Holland 44 and Ardennes 44. The the Normandy game I was thinking was a different one, so.
0: I was hoping you would uh, help me out here a little bit. I
1: know. It's... Yeah, it's a, you're 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 in my dead zone there. It's a problem. So, definitely below Battle Him, you say. Yeah, and
0: definitely yeah. Definitely
1: above SPQR Deluxe. Right. So, and here's the, here's the what makes it even harder. I know nothing about Blitzkrieg Legend. So it's
0: like so, beyond the Rhine, but you're going the other way.
1: <laughs> oh okay. Oh, so that's OCS.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's Got the okay. German Blitzkrieg of France. Got it. Okay. That my my big complaint with Blitzkrieg Legend is how many units start on the map. It's insane. It's also it's pretty short though. Like I think the campaign of Blitzkrieg Legend is like nothing compared to be on the Rhine.
1: Yeah, that, that German advance into France is uh, it's kind of a, a, a weird wargaming uh, topic, just because it was, it was quick and it didn't get a lot of resistance, so.
0: All right, here, here's the deal. My biggest complaint with Normandy 44 is combat is always the same. It's interesting, but it's always the same.
1: Yeah, so... And again, I'll just kind of throw some questions out there from what the other Zokban series. Does Normandy 44 have a lot of exceptions, like here's the rules, except for this unit can do this?
0: Not that I remember. Okay,
1: because Holland definitely has, or Arden definitely has those. Arden has a, Holland has a couple as well. I'm mixing my words I haven't
0: played Arden.
1: Yeah. Arden is good, but it does have a lot of those. This is one special unit can, that can do this. This is one special unit can do that. That's a little annoying about our den, but other than that, so look, have you ever looked at like something like when they,
0: I don't, I don't know what it's called, but basically like if you were to sit down and play this game, your range of quality, let's just throw some arbitrary numbers out there. If you're playing with all new people, let's say your enjoyment level is 75%. Okay. I think this thing shoots up to like a 90% enjoyment level, whatever that even means. If you're playing with, five or six experienced players
1: so there you're making i mean in my mind that's a comparison to here i stand here i stand if you're playing with five other players that know the game well it's as good of a gaming experience as you're going to get
0: right so now uh, i if, think normandy 44 is going to be the same no matter how experienced you
1: yeah, are if it's that type of experience game then i think it should probably be higher I'm not saying above Battleham because I haven't played it, but I, I would definitely say slot it higher if it if it's that good of an experience game. I'm all if about you have that many experience. Games. Like, no, because, I've
0: only played once, but we spent ten hours on it. I'm always hesitant to like review a game in this much detail if I've only played it. Oh, once. Oh yeah, absolutely. But man, by like after ten hours, like, <laughs> or no, we played eight hours. I'm sorry. After eight hours, I feel like I have a decent grasp for it. And I think we also identified a lot of the issues. Okay, here's where I'm going to come down with it because you haven't played it. You haven't played Blitzkrieg Legend, Normandy 44. We could go on back and forth. Yeah, I think at a peak optimal game, this will be better than Normandy 44. At a peak optical game, this is better than Blitzkrieg Legend. The problem with Blitzkrieg Legend, if you're playing one-on-one with Blitzkrieg Legend, you might as well set up a second copy because your turns are going to be five, six, seven hours, right? I mean, there's that many units on the board. If you really don't know the game, or if you take a long time, there's literally hundreds of units to move on the board. So your engagement level between players and something like Onward Christian Soldiers, which is something that's becoming a little bit more and more important with me, as much as I love Stalingrad 42, it's just like, there's a lot of downtime. In Blitzkrieg Legend, we would go and play... And we would have a whole day where only one side went. Yeah, and that's crazy. So I'm gonna rank onward, Christian soldiers above, because I'm just looking at, at so like if SPQR, if SPQR is out of place, onward, Christian soldiers is better than Oper, Operation Pegasus. Operation Pegasus is too dated. 1754 is too simple. Angola is a one-trick pony. Bloody Aprils too. Fiddly. Holdfast Korea doesn't have enough variation. Memoir. Yeah. Yeah. I'm gonna go at number seven below battle him.
1: Seventh best robot. game of all time. Seventh best game of all time.
0: So far. nonetheless
1: it's, it's official now.
0: Alright, so here's what we talked about. We were talking about if we could get, because I bet you would do it. I would do it. Mitch would do it. I am I maybe could convince Rex to do it. That's four people. If we could get either two more people, one more person from Kansas City, or two more people from Kansas City, or one more person from St. Louis, this would be a cool St. Louis versus Kansas City game day in Columbia. Valhalla. Yeah. You, I mean, because you could knock it out in a day. By the end of the day, we were clipping along very nicely. Yeah. Yeah, once everyone knew what you're doing, you just have to see the attrition and know how movement works. There's a super weird formula to get movement attrition, but once you do it once, you've got it down.
1: Yeah, we want to make sure that everyone knew what they were doing going into to get those first few turns moving faster if we're going to drive to Columbia and play in a day.
0: Sure, 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 sure. And you got to get seven people four from one city to the other but it would it would be worth it i really do think it would and
1: hope that no one that morning goes oh i can't make it
0: (laughs) yeah which we ran we ran into that one guy canceled a a few days out so i tried to get my brother to fill in and then we're like all right six that's not too bad and then the sixth guy uh was a no show so Wow. Okay. Where are we at that? Um, I'm having a blast so far. We're at two and a half hours, which is really not too bad. I mean, we brought in a second host and we kind of just doubled the length of the show,
1: which is fine by me. Yeah. Fine by me too. Um, I appreciate the opportunity. This is fun. I mean, sitting yeah. down with a friend talking about war games, he, the fact that we're recording it is just sort of ancillary to the fact, maybe.
0: Uh, I agree. <laughs> and, um, So, just a couple things. I wasn't going to do this segment on 2020 planning, but we're already going two and a half hours. We can talk about that next time where we just talk about our goals. I think the big thing that I really want to hit, and you and I have talked about, is focusing on these World War II tactical games. I mean, there's just so many to explore, and I've accumulated them. So, yeah, I think we we keep this baby rolling. I really appreciate you coming on, so I think this is something we'll explore in the future. Um, The good news is I am in the works of a pretty unique but interesting designers on the mic oh yeah he's actually he's he's got to clear it with
1: well i'm not going to take any guesses because that doesn't work PR. out well.
0: well you could take a million guesses <laughs> you would you would never get this guy i, I promise you
1: richard berg i had no, I, <laughs>
0: no. <laughs> all right that's pretty good uh but no so that that's in the works. So we got more designers on the mic coming back in twenty twenty. We got tactical games. We got Rich in twenty twenty. We got all kinds of good stuff. We've got Rich's top ten games of all time to look forward to in twenty twenty. All kinds of good stuff.
1: Historic Fest. St. Louis, Kansas City yeah. meetup. So,
0: yeah. So uh Rich and I both run our uh, monthly game groups. Again, run's probably not the right word. We just put the threads together. And just encourage people to go. Um, Rich is on Board Game Geek, the St. Louis Hug, St. Louis Historical Gaming Group. Is that uh, what it Yeah,
1: is? St. Louis Historical Gaming Society, I believe. Yeah. Gaming Society, yeah, like a, okay. Yeah, the Wargamers. Kansas, com has links to everything.
0: There you go. Okay, so that's for that. Uh, Kansas City Historical Gaming Group. I put everything on BGG, but our main activity is we have a Google group. It's super easy to find. A couple of things worth mentioning as well is Historic Fest sign up by May for your chance to be entered into the World War 1 museum passes. We're giving those away so whoever wins those can plan them into our trip. We have six different learn to play events, which I think is fantastic. So, if you want to come to Sorkfest and learn how to play great campaigns of the American Civil War, ASL Next War, Last 100 Yards, Front Towards Enemy, or the US Civil War, you have a chance to learn six different systems or games. Some of those are with the designers, which is pretty cool. Um, so sign up by May. Uh, Rich, what else you got?
1: Uh, that's about it for me. If you're in St. Louis, definitely stop by our monthly gaming day. We're third Saturday of every month at miniature market. We get there when the store opens at 10, but you know, some people come later too. So uh, I think next month, I think we're going to be playing a bunch of Vietnam games. I know I'm going to be playing uh, silver bayonet, and I think we got a game of Fire in the Lake going and some other stuff too.
0: So, you guys are on the February 15th? Yeah, February 3rd, 15th right?
1: next month. All
0: right. And then, so Kansas City will be February 22nd. Not because we planned that. It's just that's the weekend I picked. Yeah, great. Okay. Uh, Rich, what about Twitter and all that stuff? Where can uh, find
1: I am Trippier Jr. on Twitter, on Board Game Geek. I don't know what I am on there. I think I'm just Trapeer. <laughs>
0: Fair enough. I yeah. never looking
1: anyone up on BGG. Anyway. Yeah, Trippier Jr. on Twitter. Follow me there. I'm usually tweeting something stupid.
0: Okay, we'll be back in February. Um, follow us on Twitter, History Table Podcast. Just know that's not actually Rich and I both. That's just me. There's an Instagram something history table the main place to reach us is our gmail account comments questions concerns we want to hear from you if you have any books you want to recommend for games we're playing or if you have feedbacks on any of these games or you want us to rank one of your favorite games on the every war game ever list send us an email to historytablepodcast at gmail.com again it's podcast at gmail.com that is going to do it that was an absolute blast Only two and a half hours, so that's pretty good. All right, Rich, have a good
1: night. Good night.